3: Make sure to check out the video version of this podcast at youtube.com slash gameofmicrophones. See everything you're missing.
2: Through the long night, it's game of microphones with Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan,
1: Valar Morgolas.
3: Good morrow, wedding crashers and wedding bashers. And welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan the Fearsome, Westerosi wedding band lead guitarist. That's
4: right, we play all the hits. And I'm Lord Zack, strongest knight in the realm, sent to crack skulls and rescue the princess from the melee. (laughs) And welcome to episode 125. On this episode, we're covering House of the Dragon, season one, episode five, We Light the Way. In case you're not already aware, this podcast is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen all previously aired episodes of Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. If not, there's still time to be crushed beneath a falling horse so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Yeah. Spoiler yeah.
1: alert.
3: Spoiler yeah. alert. And fear not, friends, if you haven't read Fire and Blood, which covers this period of the Targaryen reign, we will only be discussing events from the Dance of Dragons that have already come to pass on House of the Dragon, and we'll take caution not to spoil drama that is still to come on the show. And if you're enjoying our coverage of House of the Dragon and our complete series rewatch of Game of Thrones, which covers every episode in depth, please consider taking the black and helping us to get out of the red by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com gompodcast or making a one time donation to keep our show alive at paypal.com gompodcast. You can also support us without spending any extra silver stags by clicking our Amazon affiliate link located in this podcast description and at the bottom of GameOfMicrophones.com. Costs you nothing, and we get a little kickback from Amazon for sending you their way. Thanks. Without any further ado, let's get into our top five highlights of House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 5, We Light the Way. All right, so what's your number five, Lord Zach? Uh, my number
4: five is the Greens. Ooh, uh, the Greens. This is the kickoff. You know, a literal Joker. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, for sure, <laughs> bro. It's like there was no uh, Gerald Hightower... Not Gerald Hightower. Gerald. uh... Gosh, who's the the, the Lord Commander of the King's Guard?
3: Oh, Her- uh, Sir Harold
4: uh, Westerling. Westerling. Golly. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. um... <laughs> He was, you know, announcing everybody, and then he thought everybody was done. Uh, Then Damon walks in and does his thing, and then the king starts to give his speech, and he just stops mid-sentence. There's no music at first. How's... Yeah, he just stopped. I was like, I thought he was choking. It was going to do a Joffrey or something crazy. crazy. Um, But then he... um, he doesn't say anything. Renera looks at him, thinking something's wrong with the king. And then she looks down the hall and sees what uh, Viserys is seeing, and there's Alicent just standing there in this just really cool, you I know, mean, really beautiful dress or gown. I don't know what you know what it would strictly be called. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the <laughs> expert you know, in, that in the fashion world, <laughs> but anyway, um, man, it just she's just standing there, and she walks down the aisle, and at first nobody stands up, and they're like oh, this is the queen and the high towers, <laughs> their whole clan, they jump up real fast. It's like, yeah, the queen, but she never gets an introduction. <laughs> uh, she never gets an introduction from a herald or, you know, I thought it was kind of funny that oh, the, the Lord commander of the Kingsguard was doing the, you know, what a normal a herald, a herald would be yeah. you know, announcing people. Anyway, he had a it was cool. That guy well has too. a good voice. They probably wanted to give Graham McTavish oh, probably. You know, some lines and some, you know, a performance to give. Uh, Cause he's a really, really good actor and he's not being used all that much yeah. Uh, compared to like his role in Outlander and other shows. But anyway, Lucifer, too. Um, he's got a great voice. She, she just walks down the aisle with no introduction uh, and then everybody starts to stand up. Uh, did you see the one person who didn't stand up? No. Damon. Oh, Damon. Oh, She walks all the way up there. The King, Renera, everybody else stands up and uh, Damon doesn't, but just the implications of this and it was kind of goofy when they had uh, Sir larry uh, He's not a Sir, I guess. Laris Clubfoot uh, explain kind of explaining it for the the casual viewer, I guess. Um, oh, do you know what color the Hightower Beacon burns? It's like, bro. Everybody realizes the significance of the green. I mean, I say that. I'm a <laughs> yeah, I bet a lot of the casual viewer viewers didn't, <laughs> and a, and a book reader. So the, I, I mean, liked it. Because uh, that's not a book, not a detail that's ever said in the books with the, the tower going green for right, war. Right, I guess they can add stuff to the beat, to the flame to make it look different for this occasion or that occasion. So you know, it's it was a neat detail, but I, like, because I already knew the significance of the, of the green dress, you know, as obviously it was expository and kind of explaining it to the people who may not realize uh, the significance of it. But, I mean, it's not a big deal.
3: He may have and, also uh, been gloating a little bit because it was kind of him that pushed her over the edge, uh, you know. Right, with that information mm-hmm, about Rhaenyra. Letting her know that uh, Rhaenyra
4: had lied to her, basically, and everything. So, it, between the conversation that Otto had with had with Allison in the beginning and then the information she learns from Kristen Cole and then what she learns from Laris Clubfoot, I guess I did said that out of order, but anyway, <laughs> all that, all those three things all together push her to embrace her high tower and basically shun Rhaenyra and non-verbally make her claim for Aegon. There was a fourth thing to add to that list that helps
3: oh, yeah. change her mind too, but we'll get into that when I get to my uh, number four, because that's my number four
4: is uh, Alicent's shift. And uh, earlier in the week, I looked up the the phrase or the motto, we light the way. I'm like, is that the faith of the seven or is that the, I oh, couldn't remember. So High Tower? looked it up. It's the, it's the motto or the house words of house Hightower. Oh, we light the way. I was going to ask you too, because I wasn't so that was sure the, about the that. The name of the episode. So I'm like, what is, what are the Hightower, are they going to make some big power play? And I mean, it, it is a power play. So they're really referencing like, that beacon at the top of the tower here, like. Right, and it being green, and then obviously Alicent coming out, if you will, yeah. <laughs> as you know, t- Team High not coming out as not much not as Layton necessarily, on, <laughs> right? Not necessarily as much Team Targaryen as everybody thought she was, even though she's a Targaryen queen. Yeah, big power play, like you said. So that's my number five. Yep.
3: Uh, anything else you want to add to that? Uh that's all I can think of right now. I'm
4: sure we'll get into it even more oh, yeah. as we go along.
3: Absolutely. So so my number five is the dance that occurs as a metaphor for the for the combat and the, the battle that we're about to witness. And nice. That was uh, I saved that
4: for my number one, but oh, we nice. can just go back and forth. Feel free to jump in. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So it uh, you know, I got I started getting exciting when when it was wedding time and Sir Harold was announcing all the houses. And speaking of the dance, there's all these different players, and they're all dancing, And we get the heralding of of the houses coming into the into the wedding, like you were saying. We've got Harold announcing the arrival of House Lannister and Jason Lannister, who's a player in the game. He was in line to be <laughs> Boo! Boo, <Lannisters. laughs> he was in line to be potentially wed to Rhaenyra as well. And it's been revealed that he was assuming that Aegon would be named the heir and that he's has knowledge of other lords who have been thinking that as well. So it seems like he may be a player coming up on the side of the greens, I would imagine. And uh, there's more hints to that when he gets to the table. But uh you know Harold's announcing everybody he announces the uh, Lord of High Tower, Hobert as well, Beacon of the South, <laughs> Defender of the Citadel, Voice of the Old Town. I love how he's going through all the uh, all the titles and everything as well during this whole uh thing. Master of Casterly Rock, Master Caster. That was kind of a cool uh rhyming type of title there. And uh Lord Jason Lannister arrives up to the table. And he congratulates Viserys on making a fine match for the princess. And <laughs> Rhaenyra butts in and, and tells him, Thank you, Lord Jason. I could think of no better man than Sir Lenor. And I was like, Ooh subtle burn that, yeah, considering backhanded <laughs> compliment yeah considering he was in the running for the job himself <laughs> so so it's
4: like yeah you were inferior to Sir Lenor. I ended up going him did you with him. see the the uh, the look that Jason Lannister had it was later on in the scene I think when they were dancing yeah and he looks over uh, at uh, Lar- Laris right uh yeah he look yeah Ilaris looks notices Jason Lannister's look okay that's that makes basically more about sense. Like, I think it may be when I can't when Lenor walks in or when they start dancing and Jason Lannister has this ugh, basically like he lost he lost out in yeah, the competition yeah. for Rhaenyra <laughs> and Ilaris Cubfoot he clocked that because he's an observer oh yeah I'm gonna oh, see yeah. everything and observe he's gonna make a move for sure uh but that was funny that look that J- that look of defeat and just annoyance by uh Jason Lannister.
3: Yeah, I think it was when Rhaenyra and Lenor were shaking hands and like oh like showing their you know their hand holding to the crowd and and everybody starts cheering that Oh, here's the bride and the groom yeah. and they're like hamming it up, you know, making a big yeah, yeah. Uh, production out of it and everything. <laughs> I think that it was at that right. moment and he was like, "Oh man, that could have been me." <laughs> Pretty funny. Um so uh, he's he's talking about like, wow, he's looking around. If this is only the welcome feast, I can't even imagine what you have planned for the wedding. And I'm thinking foreshadowing, like this is a little bit of meta commentary. Something crazy is going to be happening during <laughs> during the wedding. Uh, and uh, and it does. And it does. So Viserys is like, well, I wanted this to be a wedding for the histories. And this is when we it gets pointed out that Queen Alicent is not there. And I thought it was kind of funny that uh, Jason Lannister had hoped to pay his respect to the queen because I think everybody kind of knows that Viserys is not doing well and there's like rumors probably spreading about that. And so I was thinking, maybe Jason Lannister wants a shot at Alicent when Viserys croaks,
1: <laughs> mm,
3: <laughs> which would be kind of funny. But uh, <laughs> I have different ideas about what Alicent may be interested in. We'll get into a little later as well. Um, so... Uh, He's Viserys is like, yeah, you know, I heard she's still readying herself for the celebrations and Lannister proceeds to shove his foot deep into his mouth again, just like during the hunting trip. And he says, oh, this is why men wage war, because women would never be ready for the battle in time. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and he's like, he's like, ha ha ha, like laughing at his own joke. And I'm thinking, ooh, is this a subtle clue that he's hinting that Rhaenyra won't be ready to handle a war over her succession when Viserys dies? Like a subtle jab mm-hmm. at her, like, we're going to be coming for you. We're going to be coming for that throne for Aegon when Viserys dies and there's nobody left to defend you. Are you going to be able to handle hold your own in, in the war that's going to happen? Because I know it's a coming, you know, that's what I was thinking. Um, but also he laughs. It was kind of a dumb thing to say to a dude who just named a woman to be his heir. You know what I mean? Like, so Lannister's laughing and smiling. Like he has no clue that he just jammed his foot in his mouth. And Viserys is like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> feigning laughing. Remember the Danny look that. <laughs>
4: Yeah. That all Targaryens can yeah, like, do. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah,
3: that they're the reason that they're like doing incest is to preserve that smug gr- gr- uh, grin that they that they all yeah. have. <laughs> Super yeah. smug. So he employs that like <laughs> grin at that moment, and uh, the the princess tosses him another zinger. Your presence is always such a pleasure, Lord Jason. <laughs> and she's kind of like rolling her eyes, and <laughs> he bids them farewell. And next we have another honored guest, Sir Gerald Royce. And oh, snap, this is Damon's dead wife's cousin from the Vale who we saw at the beginning of the episode. And Viserys is most respectful to him about Lady Rhea's tragic passing, passing on his condolences and saying how sorry he is. Clearly, he has no idea about what really happened, or at least he's putting it off in his mind because it sort of had been, the seed had been slightly planted by the, the Valerians when he was at High Tide, the replacement castle of Driftmark built by Corliss Valerian. As he mentioned, speaking with Damon at the end of the pilot episode, was it? Or
4: I think it was the end of the second episode. Whatever, oh, when, it doesn't when matter. When Corliss and Damon are get together for the little chat? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the end of two.
3: Uh, so... It's, it was interesting because, uh, you know, Sir, Sir Gerald Royce is talking, he's praising Lady Rhea, how unique she was and how her kind will not soon be seen again. And she's remindful of a couple characters. She's got a little bit of Brienne of Tarth. She's got a little bit of Yara Greyjoy. When she came riding up on the horse at the beginning yeah. with the armor, I was thinking I think Yara it, Greyjoy Yara. I just like, mm-hmm. boom, instantly popped into my mind. Big Yara vibes. But then also, um, what's Jojen's sister's name? Mira, Mira Reed. I was also some strong Mira Reed vibes. They sort of look similarly, look similar, and um, so yeah. And and Mira was a hunter as well. So we'll get into more into Lady Rhea in a little bit. But uh, it's at this moment when Rhaenyra speaks up and she says, "If there's anything the crown might do to aid House Royce," and brrr, the drums start rolling before. Before Sir Gerald can ask for Damon to be investigated and punished. You know, if he had this moment alone with the king here before Damon showed up, things may have played out differently. I was getting the a favor from the king. On this, the day of his daughter's wedding type vibe. As
2: you know, I am obligated to grant one favor on this, the day of my daughter's wedding. Accept this justice as a gift on my daughter's wedding day. You know... <laughs>
4: Yeah, definitely. And it wasn't right. But when, when Royce walked up there, he kind of cut the line in front of the high towers, I think. Oh, really? <laughs> so they didn't even get introduced. I mean, they got, I assume they got introduced, but they didn't get to walk up to the king like the Lannisters did. Right, Do right. their bow, give their little speech, a little small talk speech, and then go sit down. Uh Royce kind of jumped ahead of them in line. Classic. They said their little piece, and then they got all got interrupted. And this is when the Valerians walk in, who are sort of the guest of honor. Yeah, the so then family Everybody of the kind of runs to their seats <laughs> when the yeah. Valerians had this epic. I want to see a, a like a supercut of slow mo. Uh, the Valerians walking in, yeah, slow mo with some John Woo doves.
2: Lord Corlys of House Valerian, Lord of the Tides, Master of Prismar. His lady wife, Princess Renes Targaryen, and their son and heir, Selena Valaria.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> oh man! Mm-hmm. Speaking of their epic entry, we get to see some shots of the of the 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 throne room here, looking upwards in directions we don't normally see, and you can see the huge statues mm-hmm. that are attached to the columns. And they've got this cool uh thing hanging over the high table where the mm-hmm. king and queen and Rhaenyra will are all going to be seated. It's like big, huge feathers sticking out all in all directions or something. It looks really cool. uh
4: very nice interior decoration. yeah, almost like feathers, that big kind of thing yeah, over the top of them. yeah, it was really pretty sweet. What it was made out of
3: maybe i'll yeah, I've gotta try to find a close up of it or something to analyze it further but yeah like you said that's a big moment everybody stands and applauds as they're entering and everybody at this whole event looks great all the clothing is like regal and flashy and classy and and uh the decorations are great and everybody just looks awesome the knights the the king's guard and their armor i noticed that um sir kristin wasn't wearing his magneto helmet for some reason, all the other Yeah, neither be. neither
4: was Gerald Westerling. But right. then I think he was in the background them, of a few of the shots, a few of the Kingsguard did have their helmets on. Mm-hmm. So that's a difference between uh, background performers and your main actors.
3: Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Because was a shot where that where it became really clear to me where Sir Kristen is in the front, the foreground, and like right behind him, there's another King's and he's got the helmet on. And I was like, "Oh, this is yeah. kind of weird. They're not they matching." See, <laughs> uh, yeah,
4: they want to see Fabian Frankel's beautiful face. <laughs>
3: he looks. Is he Italian? I don't know. The he name doesn't sound Italian, Italian to but
4: me. He, he he definitely has that look. He could be Greek, maybe. I don't
3: know. Yeah, that that could be too. What's uh, that guy in The Sopranos? The co-writer. Uh, he kind of looks like him. He's the guy who's writing the play about the guy who's a mobster, but he's a terrible writer, which is funny, like some meta stuff because he actually co wrote the show for a lot of episodes. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I'll I'll get a picture of him and slam it up on the YouTube version, subscribe to YouTube. And
4: uh right, Joey Diaz, the comedian, he plays in a lot not say a lot, he plays like some Italian and he looks like this big Italian, big larger than life kind of guy. Yeah. But he's Cuban.
3: <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> interestingly too, James Khan from from the Godfather he played Sonny uh-huh, you uh-huh. know he uh, this whole bada bing bada boom thing came, became like a big Italian thing after the Godfather but he is Irish Kahn, yeah, so. and he ad-libbed that during the shooting and made it up on the spot so it was never like an Italian thing before that but it's spread throughout the culture ever since That's then hilarious yeah it's hilarious hilarious <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny too so um Lenore walks up to the front, and as they're arriving, Ranira like stands up and walks out to him, and they they <laughs> they both smile and show show off their greeting. Like I said before, hamming it up and playing it up to the crowd, like like they talk about on the beach. We sh- we need to play our parts, and then once it's settled, we can each do our own thing. And every uh, they they bow, like you said, and everything. Oh, I thought it was interesting, also. Uh, Corliss and everybody walks to the side and Joffrey Lonmouth is standing there with the rest of the Valerians, and he's standing in front
4: of them. Yeah. Which, of trueborn valerians Yeah. I was like, well, that's, that's kind of dumb, but they're just yeah. trying to feature that guy. But yeah, anyway. I
3: guess. Yeah. It was weird. It was weird. It felt awkward to me.
4: You uh, think the uncle, uh, Vaymond would be the next yeah. leader after, uh, Corliss and then his sons and daughters. You know, his totally. blood, you know, his uncle would be the next one in, in line, so to speak, in the procession. But anyway.
3: And what is Joffrey Lonmouth's, uh technical role?
4: Um, I, like the really. I guess he would just be a knight. I mean, he's a sir. Oh, yeah, uh, so true. he's just a knight in service uh, to House Valerian, I guess, you know, from a, a vassal house that falls underneath the Valerians. Knight of Kisses. Or he could be. I mean, I, I could uh, research him. He could be from the mainland of Westeros. For I don't know where the Lonmouths uh, hail from. He's yeah, I'm just not sure either. Happened to like how how sons and how sons especially would go and be right. Would wards. live with uh, wards uh, like you know D- Ned did with uh, John Aaron. Yeah. So he could have been a ward at Valeria at uh, Driftmark from some other place in Westeros, and then you know fell in love with Lenore and stayed there or whatever.
3: Yeah, I'm going to have to look into that more because I am not sure either. I think they said it, but I don't remember. House
4: Lawnmouth <laughs> is a noble house from the Stormlands sworn to House Baratheon. Ooh. Oh, they have this cool sigil. It's like a... The skull? Lips. It's lips and then interposed with these black and white skulls. Um, maybe you can put that on the YouTube video. Oh, yeah. It's really cool looking on Wiki For of sure. House and Fire wiki of ice and fire
3: i saw like a skull on his on his um on the front of his uh blouses <laughs> whatever the, the garment that he's wearing is called <laughs>
4: that prince thing just popped into my head game <laughs> blouses yeah so house house Lonmouth is from the stormlands but he has found himself on driftmark
3: yeah maybe he's a ward he must be a ward to build alliances or something. So, uh, <laughs> Viserys is up there <coughs> hacking away. And it's at this moment where Damon shows up to everybody's surprise. He comes strolling in with the, like the biggest shit eating grin you could imagine. Like putting the shit eating grin from the pilot episode after he cuts off all the hands and schlongs and stuff, putting that shit eating grin to shame. He just unrepentant, giant smile as he as he walks up and kind of nods to Viserys and Viserys is totally bitch made, bitch made just like whatever. Just allows him to join and even gives, gives him a seat at the high table. And this was a big um, a big moment that's sort of representative of of Viserys how he he is losing his grip on everything, which is not surprising considering his hand is rotting away. <laughs> Literally. And, uh, yeah. and so, all of these crazy things are happening. He's got people walking all over him. Viserys, you know, uh, his, his hand is pushing him around, you know, his former hand leading him all, the, all different directions. Fights are breaking out at tournaments, which I don't think that would happen under Joffrey, you know what I mean? Or <laughs> a king that wouldn't put up with it. Right, ne- or, uh, Robert stopped it immediately. Oh yeah, with when the hound uh, was fighting the, the uh-huh. yeah the mountain. That was a cool scene. The first actor that played the mountain, they went through like three actors with the mountain. <laughs> first guy, yeah. then the second guy was like twig thin, and then Hathor Bjornson, a yeah, beast. Epic. So <laughs> hilarious. Uh, Damon goes and sits down, and it's at this point when.
4: Damon, sorry to cut you off. Oh, go ahead. Damon, again, he doesn't say a word. Right, whole, right. The, At the very beginning of the episode. Nothing. Doesn't say a word. That whole sequence on uh, the Stepstones, he doesn't. He So Matt Smith does the most when he says the least. Yeah, that's so awesome. <laughs> and he's not, I mean, it, he's he's a really good actor. You know, basically, what people say about Keanu Reeves, he's great when he's not talking. <laughs> and then when Whoa. he talks, it's like not this is just not as good. And I agree with that, but he's, he's pretty good in, um, in John, in the John Wick movies, I think. Fantastic. That's his own driving
3: stunts too. He's like a really, really good driver. But
4: anyway, Matt Smith can obviously deliver lines and act non-verbally like this, but for the character Damon, when he's not saying anything, I think he's the most dangerous.
3: Yeah, I think so too. I a hundred percent agree. Uh
4: man. But sorry, I just wanted to note that that he walks up. He doesn't say, Oh, I beg your leave, King Viserys, yeah, doesn't to beg rejoin. For forgiveness. Can may I join, have a seat at the high table? Uh can I am I welcome back in King's Landing since you banished me for the second time that we know of? Uh he just walks in. Kind of looks, has that grin, and then Viserys does the nod and say, hey, yeah, <laughs> bring, him, bring him a chair, a chair. <laughs> uh, bring him a goblet of wine, you know, bring him, make him a plate, let's go. He's like, I David, can't stay but, mad at you, he
3: just melts yeah, with that David smile. just walks
4: in, doesn't say anything, and earns, you know, his spot at the high table without it doing anything. Beautiful. I was a little bit skeptical when the,
3: the casting announcement came down with Matt Smith and we got the first uh promo photographs, but... Uh, I I had met Matt Smith at a couple conventions where I was working and he was a really cool guy. So I was like, all right, you know, I'll I'll wait and give it a shot before I make any judgments. And I think he's nailing it. Like, I think he's doing such an (laughs) awesome job. He's he's captivating when he's on screen. Uh, Uh, What what is it? Uh, Well, actually,
4: I'll wait to say that because that's part of my number two.
3: Okay. (laughs) So uh, this is the point where he, he takes a seat and Viserys stands or stays standing to begin his speech. And like you mentioned, it's partway through his speech when he starts saying House Valerian, he gets cut off right at the beginning of House. And everybody goes silent. And eventually everybody looks at the door and Alicent is walking in wearing the green. And it was set to music that mirrors, it was like like an alternate version of the song The Light of the Seven, which played leading up to the explosion of the great sept of Baylor at the, that crazy moment where the wildfire goes off and Cersei plans the, the you know, goosebumps thinking about it. Marjorie goes, yep. goes up in flames. Loras goes up in flames. Like so many people go up in, High in flames. High Sparrow. Yeah. yeah, the High Sparrow. Uh, Kevin Great. Lannister. Oh, Kevin Lannister too? I'm pretty sure. Oh, Wow. Yeah. So crazy. Green dress, green flames with a wildfire, and like similar music. That I'm gonna overlay them together, and and uh, you'll see how they complement each other.
4: And the age of dragons with House Targaryen. And ha-
3: All right, you guys ready to have your minds blown? So here's the song that plays as Allison walks down the aisle in her green dress by itself in the left speaker. And here is Light of the Seven, the song that plays leading up to the sept explosion by itself in its original form in the right speaker. And here they are together, as is, mixed one in the left, one in the right. As you can hear, they sound terrible together. But, but, if you take Light of the Seven and lower the whole composition by one half step, and slow it down to play at 91%. This, both of them playing together. Even transitions to different sections within the song and dialogue are cut in similar places.
1: you think not cannot
0: escape justice of the gods. Forget about the bloody gods and isn't what telling you? So he understands Bless the consequences me. of her absence, and she is absent anyway, which means she does not intend to suffer those consequences. The trial coin.
3: Beautifully done. Great parallel compositions, and it's awesome how they sort of ebb and flow off of each other. (laughs) Not to mention these similar backlit shots from behind of both Alicent and Cersei in their dresses that give off the same kind of eerie vibe. really cool. And I even noticed in that theme too, it's almost got a little, little bit hints of the dragon theme song in it as well, which is pretty, pretty fun. So it was, it was very
4: good. It was very good. Very
3: good. And she looked great, looked fantastic in that dress. It was awesome. (laughs) And uh, it was interesting, you know, she's walking in and somebody's like, the King will not be happy right in the midst of his speech. And uh, the way that she interrupted his speech sort of hinted to me that she might be in attempt to interrupt the succession and his will in, in the future, uh, just the way cutting off what he's trying to do and preventing him from completing what he's, what he's up to. I think that may be a little bit of foreshadowing for her interfering with his plans for Rhaenyra in the future. <laughs> and as we learned, the beacon of Hightower glows green when old town calls its banners to war. And, all of the the high tower crew is also dressed in green as she walks past. And so this is not like, this is a moment where everybody in this room sees the color that she's wearing and they're like, oh, she's been wearing red and black this whole time since she's been married. Every time we've seen her and hanging out in the godswood with uh, Rhaenyra. At their mm-hmm. laughing party with Damon, joking about the uh, the <laughs> the tapestries. <laughs> Off at the hunt, she's been wearing black and red, black and red, black and red, embracing the Targaryen identity and sort of um, subsuming herself into into the house of the Targaryens, letting Rhaenyra maintain her position, and she's just kind of fitting in and and not making waves and blending in. She's like joining in she's on team targaryen whatever the whatever the cost because whatever viserys says goes basically you know and uh so when she departs from wearing those colors and starts wearing mm-hmm. green it's like oh man her allegiances have changed and uh she's now thinking of her kids and their future uh and and high tower's legacy instead of necessarily just going along with what the king wants so that was pretty intense. She shows up and she's uh <laughs> congratulations, stepdaughter. <laughs> she says to the princess, like yeah,
4: ice oh, cold, very formal. Oh man, uh when Alison calls Rainier a stepdaughter, that's I mean, it's like it's so terse and short, but what stepdaughter does that normally you know they would probably call her princess or sister or friend. Um but calling her stepdaughter instead of princess just makes her—that is all she is—to Alicent because of her relationship to Viserys, the king, and Alicent's husband. Um, but if she calls her princess or princess of Dragonstone, then you know that's basically acknowledging her heirdom to the throne. As she calls her, she says. Uh, whatever she said, uh, congratulations, stepdaughter. This is such a great day for you or something to that effect. So calling her stepdaughter is an insult and it basically takes away uh, the validity to her claim in that moment, if all that makes sense.
3: Right, right. And by calling her stepdaughter, she's also sort of presenting herself as an authority figure over Rhaenyra at that point. Wow. What a blessing this is for you. She sits down. That's and, it. Yeah. That's all she says. All she says. And Vis- Viserys is like, he's falling apart. He's rotting yeah. from the inside out, you know, and uh, he he totally lost his spot where he was in the speech. So he has to be reminded by Lionel, which is not a good sign. He's slipping mentally as well as physically mm. at this point. And so he continues his speech about uniting the houses and, how he's going to be heralding in a second age of dragons and Westeros and everybody's cheering. But at the same time, <laughs> people have to be like nervous about that
4: <laughs> because did you, uh, did you notice who wasn't clapping when he said, uh, second age of dragons and Westeros? Hobart. Oh yeah. That's understandable. Mm, and not uh, clapping.
3: Yeah. And he, uh, he says some stuff coming up here that, uh, that has some deep deeper meanings as well. yeah, that, like, Alt Shift X said, like, you know, the field of fire wasn't too long ago at this point. Aegon's conquest was only, what, like 110 years before, 113 years before-ish at this point. So people's grandfathers who were in this room were probably roasted to death at the field of fire. And the memory of the pain that it brought their houses is still fresh in their minds. So, you know, uh, I'm certain... I'm sure that nobody's too excited about the continued presence of dragons. Remember we were talking before about how there's like this chessboard that's being played and everybody's maneuvering on the chessboard. But as soon as a dragon rider shows up, it's like all the other pieces are insignificant. You know, the power of your house is insignificant next to the power of the dragons. (laughs) And, (laughs) And so that was quite the ominous statement of a continued second age of dragons. Uh, he says something about tonight's small affair and everybody laughs because it's like a huge <laughs> affair it's huge and fancy feast. and there's going to be seven days of tournaments and feasting. And, uh, apparently some of the stuff that happens here happens later at a tournament. Like the, the green dress happens in a tournament in the books and in, in the, the rogue prince story, I believe, or maybe in fire, no, in fire and blood. Mm-hmm. and the the beating that happens happens as well which we'll talk about a little bit later on um and so Rhaenyra at this point is having like her first dance type <laughs> thing with lenor and they're talking as they're dancing and she's saying how she was never much of a dancer and he remarks that it's not much different to combat which is kind of a meta statement considering yeah. that this whole War between the Targaryen families is called the Dance of Dragons. So it's a little bit on the nose, like you, like you talked about with the, uh, the green light at the top of Hightower. But also it works because a lot of people haven't read the books and aren't familiar with all this terminology and, and exterior lore, things that haven't necessarily been mentioned. Although they probably did mention the Dance of Dragons. I seem to remember a conversation with little Shireen Baratheon and talking yeah. with uh sir davos right about the dance of dragons and he's like well why do they call it a dance <laughs> she's like that's not really a dance that's a, a word to describe the, the the war between the the family
4: when yeah, he, when davos was trying to learn to read yeah he's confused about right. if it was a war why they call it a dance
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so funny so here we get another mention of dancing referring to combat which is foreboding to say the least this is all going to go to hell. But for now, for the moment, everything's going well and everybody's happy and laughing and dancing and everything's good. And it's at this point where Hobert Hightower is interacting with his niece, the queen, your grace. And she thanks him for coming. And uh, he, he remarks that he was worried that after her, her father left and she was left Outside of his shadow, <laughs> that she might wither in the the sun of King's Landing, but she stood tall. And, and he says, "Know that Old Town stands with you." And that's mm. that's a big statement because what he, it was he who had given Otto Hightower the mission of of sending Alicent in there, probably to the King's chambers, and not maybe not that specifically, but getting her in a position to influence the King and get making, working to make egg on the air. So when she came out wearing that green dress, it was like a signal to him that she's taking on the mission that Otto had been carrying out beforehand. And he's, she's inheriting it. And instead of uh, you know, turning away and shrinking away from the task, she, like, like he says, she's standing tall. She's stepping up to the plate and she's going to be continuing her father's mission and his mission, Hobert's mission. That he had assigned him to integrate themselves into the royal line and sort of usurp it by blood from uh, from from Rhaenyra, effectively. So that was a big moment, and hint: she's you know the wedding is not even over, and she's already like make not she's not really like making an alliance because it's her family, but she's Mm -hmm. getting the like the 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 vows of obeisance from from people you know old town stands with you that means like i got your back just like all those families had come and sworn their fealty to Ranira when she was announced to be heir people are i'm foreseeing people are going to start telling giving her subtle messages like this and hobert her uncle is the first of them so that was a an exciting moment and it's now that we get sir gerald royce approaching the high table yet again now that Damon is back and this dude he comes from you know the family of the bronze bitch they call the Royces bronze because of the ancient armor that they have from the days of the first men that is supposed to like serve as like a ward against danger in battle and protect them although it's not always very <laughs> effective, but but they're always referred to as bronze. Uh, bronze, Jan, Royce was one of them from the time of G- of Game of Thrones from that time period. And I think, and uh, and so this, uh, instead of brass balls, this guy's got bronze balls. He, st- he steps up to the table to accuse Prince Damon of murder in front of the king. And he straight up wow. says he's making an accusation Uh, but hey it starts off somewhat subtly in the veil men are made to answer for their crimes even Targaryens and Daemon's response hilarious so belittling and he's just like who are you? (laughs) who are you? he gives him the
4: the Thanos treatment (laughs) I don't
2: even know who you are in the veil men are made to answer for their crimes even Targaryens
3: who are you? Hilarious (laughs) Hilarious <laughs> response. Sir Gerald Royce of Runestone. And like, and what are you doing here? And uh, he mentions that he was Lady Rhea's cousin. And he's like, oh, you know, he's, Damon claims to be positively bereft, even though he, you know, really doesn't care at all. As he says to Lena Valerian in a little bit, in their little flirty moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh, he's like, you know better than anyone. It was no accident. And Damon flips it on him like, oh, are you confessing some guilt? Sir Gerald. He's like, no, I am making an accusation. (laughs) And Damon switches it on him again and looks over to the king. As he says, you know, in King's Landing, men are made to answer for their slanders, (laughs) slanders, even old bronze cunts like you. And he scoffs, and he totally he just totally flips it on him here, telling him like the truth is you know I'm happy you're here because I wanted to speak with you about my inheritance. <laughs> we had, we had no heirs, but Lady Rhea was set to inherit Runestone, and so I'm gonna make a case to Lady J- Lady Jane at the e- Airy after this wedding is done, and maybe I'll see you there. And he's like kind of like hints like you know like I will cut you down, and again, bitch made. Sir Gerald uh, Royce <laughs> tucks his tail and, in terror and, and slinks away without it saying anything. And it cuts back to Damon, who's watching him slink away. And Lionel Strong is sitting next to him, and he kind of was watching, and he's like, I need a drink. This is getting crazy. And he <laughs> starts drinking on his glass of wine. And um, I was wondering, you know, Since they hadn't consummated their marriage, as Lady Rhea reminds him at the start of the episode before she gets whacked, (laughs) why wouldn't he just have their marriage annulled? It's a thing, you know, if the marriage hasn't been consummated yet, it can be annulled. Right. And he makes it clear he wants, he stands to gain wealth and property by... Not annulling the marriage. And so it's his own selfish <laughs>
4: desires to <laughs> screw over her whole family. Yeah, if he had it annulled, you know, it, it would basically be pushing the Aaron, or I'm sorry, the Royces away instead of making them an The whole reason for their marriage was, you know, to kind of solidify an alliance with the, you know, uh, a, a, one of the main houses in the Vale. True, but true. If they annulled it, then that kind of pushes, you know, could make a potential enemy out of what was supposed to be an ally. But if right. tragic acts, if uh, pretty little ladies, you know, fall off their horses and break their necks all the time is, as, as Bron told us, yeah, if that, if that were to accidentally happen, you know, it is what it is.
3: Yeah. Dude, that's a great reference too. Cause Bron gets married. He gets made, to, made to be a Lord. I think of his own house and uh, he gets it married to Lolly Stokeworth. And <laughs> he's like, planning on killing her and taking all of her property in the castle that she's set to inherit. And I think he actually does it in the books. Ruthless. So ruthless. I think that was during a conversation with Jamie that he was having when they sort of teamed up during the loot train battle leading up to that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because Jamie uh, arrives out of nowhere while he's like eating, having a picnic with Lollys, and he like shoes her away so the men can
4: talk basically. And he's like, yeah, I'm planning on killing her anyway. I think that's the before they sail to Dorne.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That's they, right. It's they when, go on that
4: little secret mission down to Dorne to yeah, get uh, to try to assassinate her, the daughter. Oh, to recover uh, Marcella. Marcella. Yeah. 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 And they end up kill. Do they kill the boy. Something I can't happens. The Martell boy that she's Jamie's taken in love captive.
3: With. I think right, surrounded by whip
4: girl and spear girl. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Bronnie is too, and he yeah. kind of gets seduced in oh, yeah, the jail cell. The crazy clip. That's funny.
3: <laughs> she drugs <laughs> anyway. him and the truth <laughs> yeah. serum or something. Yeah, so, um, oh, Viserys. You know, so Lionel Strong's like, oh, this is getting real. I need a drink. And he starts, like, chugging on his wine. And Viserys is kind of sitting there like, huh. And he looks over at Damon and kind of looks back, and, and I could read his mind. He was, he was looking at Damon like, he wouldn't really have killed his wife, would he? Oh, yes, he would have. Like, this is totally a possibility. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> and it's at, uh, you know, everybody's dancing at this point. And it's, it's about now when Daemon approaches Lena Valerian, who uh, he, <laughs> he starts hitting on. It was crazy. It's kind of like an Another. insult slash uh, come on, right? When he, The first line. Yeah. Has anybody ever told you you're nearly as pretty as your brother? Like, hinting that his, he knows his brother's gay. I think, right. and uh, and it's uh, another silver-haired maiden. Yeah, true. Another maybe. Ooh, I was gonna say maybe she was the one all along, but she was
4: like four last time. We saw she was
3: real young, <laughs> so that would be that'd be pretty rugged, So two, she was
4: twelve, yeah. even below. Damon, I think we've had several time jumps. Yeah, uh, re- just real quick. Speaking of time jumps, so between Sir Otto Hightower leaving this episode and the ba- uh, before Kristen Cole comes in to talk with Allison, she. Uh, Allison is holding the baby. Mm. That's the, I mean, I'm pretty certain that's the same baby as it was last episode. So I think basically no time or very little time has passed since episode four and episode five, because Otto's not going to hang around King's Landing for like two months or four months or six months or a year after he gets fired. Yeah, for sure. So he's, he jumps on his horse and is leaving, you know, headed out for old town. So, I'm thinking this is maybe the next day, or I mean, within probably a week, I would guess. Yeah, I, I would and agree the baby, with that the little baby hasn't aged, and they don't say, "Oh, baby number." Th-, they don't say that that's the third baby or anything right, like it's that. It's the second one. So implied. I'm thinking that four and five kind of are pretty close in time. Yeah, because they're they you know closest last yet. episode, Viserys and. Rhaenyra agree on her marrying Laenor and then this episode at the beginning, they're sailing to Driftmark to, mm-hmm. you know, forge that alliance and get it done officially, you know, between Corlys and Viserys. Yep. So anyway, people were trying to figure out the time jumps each in between each episode and I don't think there is any of time jump or very much of one at all.
3: Yeah, not enough uh, to really count as a time jump, I would say. There's just enough time for them to go to Driftmark and back, which is close by for Daemon to hop on Caraxes and fly just outside the Vale so he could creep in with his hood like the Hound and Sansa when he, the Hound saves her from King's Landing and spirits her away to the Vale to uh, live under the protection of her Aunt Liza. Or there's well, that moment ba- there.
4: Baelish, Baelish is the one that spirits her away. Oh. I the, mean, the Hound right, gets her right, out right. of in the Battle of Blackwater, but they don't go, they don't go anywhere. Where does the Hound take her? Yeah, I'm confusing stuff. Sansa's wearing a hood though, right? And then she like takes yeah, off the hood and shows her red after, hair. It's after Joffrey's wedding that she leaves King's Landing and Baelish, you know, gets her on the ship and whisks her away to the Erie. Right, I'm confusing and he crossbows and book stuff to show stuff Baelish at this point. Baelish crossbows, yeah, Baelish crossbows the, the Dantos hollard in the little rowboat. Right. Who takes and, her. But in season two some money
3: or something and then,
4: <laughs> yeah, season two, the hound quit, you know, quits the in the middle of the battle of Blackwater. Fuck the king. And he goes to Sansa. I know he does it in the book. Maybe he doesn't do that in the show. Little bird. He's like, yeah, he, all call, yeah, he has that little bird conversation with Sansa. I think he talks, he tries to get her to go with him and she says no. Yeah. Yeah. Leaves. That's what it is. And he ends up linking up with Arya. And you know, I think the he's, he's like,
3: you know, I'd protect you. Like, I would keep you
4: safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which but she stays still, still thinking, it's season two. So she's still thinking Joffrey is, well, even, Joffrey cut off her dad's head.
3: Yeah. She thinks the hound uh, is still an agent of Joffrey, probably. And yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but the hound being, you know, <laughs> like an abused child was like wanting to protect her innocence legitimately. Yeah. So, uh, Damon is dancing with Lena at the same time that Lenore is talking with Joffrey. And uh, Lena and (laughs) and Damon are hitting on each other. Sorry about your lady wife. Oh, don't be. I wasn't. (laughs) She was never very kind to me. And this tells me the fact that he said that seems like a moment of honesty. And uh, considering what she says to him during their encounter at the beginning of the episode, I believe this you know, he doesn't say anything and she's just coming at him with insult after insult and dig after mm-hmm. dig. And so I, th- I believe it. Like, I think that he had ED on the night of their wedding, couldn't get it up, couldn't consummate it and she was probably like, oh, you stupid. You know, like, you can't even, you know, I knew you couldn't finish, you know, like she says. <laughs> so she was probably giving him shit for that. I'm wondering if that night was like a trigger that totally changed the trajectory of Damon's life and turned him into this crazed man because it like, being belittled by somebody that's supposed to be protective of you and like that you're being intimate with that's close like that. It could have resulted in him overcompensating for his lack of sexual stamina or capabilities with all these other crazy things that he's, that he's doing being a showman in other ways as like a method of extreme overcompensation. And uh, so I believe him. It seems like she wasn't very nice to him. And uh, <laughs> she signed her own death warrant, basically, <laughs> and screwed over a lot of people by making Damon into either making him into a madman or pushing him further into madness mm-hmm.
1: uh,
3: as a result of like the frustration that came from from that wedding night and the failure to consummate. So uh, simultaneously, Joffrey has figured out that Sir Kristen is the paramour of Princess Rhaenyra, and he's telling Lenor. And, uh, it's really like, you know, he's talking about like, oh, I know who it is. It's Sir Kristen Cole. And look at him. He's fully struck which is a funny line. <laughs> um, and then it cuts back to Lena and Damon and she's hitting on him now. Like, ooh, a Tarkarian prince, a dashing knight and a dragon rider. You appear to be every young maiden's dream. And another moment of truth where he <laughs> from Damon where he says, that's only because you don't know me yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. You know, she doesn't know he's a scoundrel yet. And uh, <laughs> it's at this point where Lainor uh, n- is telling Joffrey. Joffrey's getting a little bit vocal about the situation. He's like, I believe Sir Kristen has bloodied that white cloak of his with your bride's maidenhead. Another reference to sullying the cloak. And Lenor mm-hmm. knows that he's like overstepping and saying things too loudly that he shouldn't be. And he's like, dude, keep your voice down. Like, what are you doing? You know, you're going to blow this whole situation up which he does, and so um, cuts back to Lena and Damon, and she's like, oh, perhaps we, we might remedy that, the fact that I don't know you very well. And he's like, perhaps, and they're hitting on each other. And uh, Joffrey, it becomes clear here that Joffrey is planning on using the situation with Sir Kristen as leverage. He says, this is a good thing to Lenore She knows your secret, and now you know hers. So if he's looking at it from like a position of power thing, it's not good enough for, for them just to have the deal. He needs the leverage uh, to make sure that they can, they can keep their control over their secret relationship, it seems. And uh, he goes over to, to Sir Kristen and starts whispering in his ear, they make a handsome match, don't they? What? And Kristen's like, who the <laughs> fuck are you? What are you talking about? What? I'm on well, guard duty, buzz off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the princess and Sir Lenor, you know, and he's, he's like, I'm Joffrey Lonmouth. The Knight of Kisses, they call me, although I don't know why. Maybe because of all those lips on his breastplates and mm-hmm. stuff from the, <laughs> they go with his skulls. And he's like, you don't know me, but we're both deeply invested in this union. And he's like, dude, if you got something to say, just fucking say it, bro. Like, quit beating around the bush and being a weirdo. And so he <laughs> makes it clear, like, you know, I'm... I'm in love with the prince or with the, with the future king consort and you're in love with the princess. I know it. So we should swear to each other to guard them and their secrets, 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 because if those secrets are kept safe, then so are we all. And so he kind of plants the seed that the secret is out and that he's a threat. And I'm thinking at this point, like, okay, Sir Kristen thought that his life was over by sullying his, his, uh, his, his cape, the white cloak, and everything. Um, he was. He thought it was life was over, and he effectively was pardoned. He he was ready to die over this, and we'll get more into that later. But he he effectively got pardoned by the queen, and now this dumbass comes up and is threatening him. This may have felt like a second lease on life for for Kristen potentially. Like he, he's able to continue, and he's forgiven for his discretion for his indiscretions. It's not the right word, and yeah <laughs> and uh he considering maybe he thought that his confession would would uh like be some sort of absolution or something like that, or it would be the death of him for sure, and uh Joffrey fucked up by making him feel threatened again, and it comes back to bite him pretty quickly, yeah everybody's does. dancing. Hey, you know, doing like the the Russian dance or whatever, where everybody yells "Hey!" Oh, <laughs> and um, so it's at this point when Damon <laughs> stands up and comes down to dance with Rhaenyra, and things are about to get spicy when those two are together. It's like flint and steel, <laughs> boom! <laughs> and uh, right off the bat, he's like, "Is this what you want?" in High Valyrian. And she apparently had never got an explanation for why he left her in the whorehouse. Because she's like, you know, I was not aware that anything I wanted mattered to you. Little did she know that he wanted nothing more than to be with her there in the whorehouse. But, you know, was unable to fulfill his own desires. Couldn't follow through with what he started. Couldn't finish, like Lady Ray uh, said. Pretty brutal. And uh, <laughs> there's a. I feel like this is kind of like a Han Solo reference coming up here, where he's like, he's like, this is not for you. Lenor is a good man and a fine knight. He'll bore you senseless. And it made me think of how Han Solo uh, told Leia that she likes scoundrels. Right? <laughs> she was like, you're a scoundrel, and he was like, that's why you like me. Something <laughs> something like that. You like me because I'm a scoundrel. There aren't enough scoundrels in your life.
1: Like
3: nice man. <laughs> you like the scoundrels. Uh so I thought that was kind of like a different way of saying that, but the same kind of message. Lenar is good and a fine knight, but he'll bore you senseless. You want me because I'm a scoundrel. And so she throws back in his face what he had said to her that marriage is a political arrangement, and he's like, Right, mine and mine was recently dissolved, so uh, you know, let's do this.
4: Uh
3: hi, baby. <laughs> And <laughs> and so uh, this was one of the coolest parts. She's like, So then take me. Has this not been your purpose? I am not yet married, but the hours pass swiftly. Surely you're armed. Cut through my father's king's guard, take me to Dragonstone and make me your wife. And I was like, do it, <laughs> do it, because I want some action
4: crazy man she's really tempting him i think here
3: and he like grabs her by the face and viserys watches in horror as he like almost kisses her and like cradling her face erotically and right there
4: uh, in front of everybody everybody
3: after the rumors had been spread and similarly uh laenor kind of like nuzzled the neck of uh his his buddy over there little
4: little impasse this little yeah, yeah, in right? passing, it's yeah, like, yeah, like, dude, there's people do? everywhere. I mean, I guess, like, in the book, they they, they talk about it as basically an open, open secret, secret kind of, yeah, yeah, about Lenore. but not in
3: this case, not in as much, at least. At least, Rainies or Rainy's, as uh, Sir Harold says, and uh, Corliss, Corliss I guess it would be, also, uh, they pretty much know about it, although Corliss thinks he'll grow out of it. We'll get to that in a bit. Uh, and so it's right at this moment where he's cradling her face and that somebody screams and we, the camera angle changes and we can't tell what's happening. And I'm like, oh my God, he's doing it. He's going to cut down the king's card and, and whisk her away. But it doesn't seem like that's what happened because he just kind of vaporizes into thin air like the Joker. Like, you know, like, uh, what? what is it? <laughs> let's not blow. Oh, uh, that's out of proportion. Blow. Right, and then he boom, kicks the door and just disappears <laughs> backwards, walking through the door. It was like it was like um, Damon just disappeared, and he was gone. And then we we you know everybody's going crazy. People are getting tossed around. Renira's getting pushed to the ground. Lainor ta- ta- tries to tackle Sir Kristen, and he gets punched in the face by Kristen and mm-hmm. knocked over and thrown on a table by somebody else. Yeah, and- could you tell who that
4: was? It looked like they were in a red. Like waistcoat or something. Yeah, the I'm second not, person who I'm like sure. kind of pushes Lenor on the table. I'll have to go frame by frame. <laughs> yeah, <I couldn't. laughs> just, it's so probably just gonna, some random, some random you know brawler who's like, all right, yeah, let's go. It's just <laughs> some people <laughs> when they get into a situation like that, they're just those brawler kind of mentality True. people, and they just they're like, yeah, let's go. It's like they they just start fighting anybody, anybody who's around. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it was crazy though that.
3: Lenor and Rhaenyra, the two like main people, main attractions of the evening are being tossed around in this kind of fashion. And uh, we get an interesting moment with Lionel Strong, the new hand of the king. And he signals his son, Harwin Breakbones, the, the other strongest man in Westeros next to Lord Zack. <laughs> and uh, he, he kind of like goes over and scoops her up. And he's just like pushing people out of the way. And she's like, put me down. Struggling. <laughs> Pretty funny. Um, but I was, I, you know, there are a couple of things in this episode that make me think like, what is what is he really up to? Uh, not Not Harwin, but Lionel the hand of the king. He's too perfect. He's too honest. He's too straightforward. He can't, it can't be real. You know, he's I feel like he's doing and saying one thing to Viserys and then he's like meeting with his boys in the background and like, you do this and you do this and you, you side with Rhaenyra and you side with Alicent and turn them against each other because chaos is a ladder and if we can we can create chaos and then, then we'll rise and we'll, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just, you know, making stuff up basically. <laughs> but I'm wondering what the hell is going on here. And uh, so she, he takes Rhaenyra out of there. And then we get to see what's going on with Kristen Cole as he, he's pummeling on uh, Joffrey. And Joffrey pulls out a knife and tries to stab him, but no dice. And then with the, his metal gauntlet, he just... Pummels down on him and like, like, uh, Edward Norton in Fight Club. I just felt like destroying something beautiful when he did completely smashes Jared Leto's face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hilarious. And, uh, just pummels Joffrey into into ground hamburger meat and uh, his eyeballs popped out and missing. And there's still, like a big cavity and it's, it's, he ruins him. And yeah, they show uh, it
4: just for a split second, but it's like, oh man
3: next level uh, they must have used like ballistics gelatin or like or something maybe even real meat you know (laughs) and like made a prosthetic of his face or Mm -hmm. something
4: Uh, mashed hamburger meat
3: yeah pretty pretty hardcore and uh, then he gets up and Goes outside.
4: <laughs> uh, they kind of
3: just ends at that scene and sort of transitions into the uh, the the actual wedding, right? Isn't that kind of what happens?
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it is intercut that a little bit with Kristen Cole. Yeah. Oh, Looking up it, to the godswood.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't catch to cut you off. But before we transition away okay. from the scene, you sent me that meme or you posted the meme in... Um, in our little group chat that we've got going (laughs) comparing Viserys watching Daemon and Rhaenyra like almost kissing and he's like, oh, grilling him. Compared to the way Drogon was watching when John Snow and Daenerys were kissing up in the snow. <laughs> and Drogon was just yep. like, as John, like, the dragon. kissing her and, like, kind of like looks <laughs> as he's kissing her. Hilarious. That's the dragon look. Yeah. Side by side, those were a perfect match. Protective dragon. Yep. Protective dragon. And uh, yeah, Viserys was all mad. And yeah, you were saying that it cuts between these two scenes now.
4: Yeah, Kristen Cole is taking his breastplate off and the white cloak off, and he's walking up to the Weirwood tree. And just earlier in the in the episode it has shown the, you know, the sap or the blood uh that kind of runs down the eyes of the, God, uh, the face in the tree. So right there in front of all the old gods and everything. And he's ready to uh what's the Jap- uh the Japanese word for Seppuku. Seppuku. seppuku? Yeah. Um where, you know, you've seen it, you know, where ronin have disgraced their master or ronins don't have a master, but a, a samurai who has, you know, lost or, you know, disgraced, you know, his, his master or whatever the situation may be, uh, commit, you know, basically it's over. And that's the honor in their, in their culture, I believe it's the honorable thing to do is Japanese officers would do this, uh, in World War Two. To prevent being captured in, in different situations and just, I think they just stab themselves in the stomach or maybe in a certain organ and, you know, that's it.
3: Yeah. I think there's like, you're even ranked on how badass you are about it. Cause if you, if you can like jam it back and forth and like zigzag oh. across your stomach, you're like legendary. <clears throat> and <laughs> apparently, <laughs> uh, maybe I'm, I I've, I've heard that somewhere. I think it's, you know, potentially accurate
4: possible sounds like a quentin tarantino thing (laughs) yeah for sure yeah (laughs) he comes to the point of it and he's really about to do it and then who shows up in the godswood but the queen so i think it's pretty obvious what's gonna happen i mean not necessarily how it's like how does Kristen cole how is he not arrested or how is he not tried or at the very least you know admonished for he literally just k- killed a guy with his bare hands, right there in the middle of the feast. So, I guess they're going to kind of craft some kind of narrative about you know protecting the peace, protecting the princess, or something. Because you know, a dead man tells <laughs> no tales. So, um uh, Joffrey doesn't get to tell his side of things. So, Lainor would freak but, out, right? You'd think that's true. Um, he's they're married now, so yeah, I don't, I don't really know how they're gonna do this to where Allison and Kristen Cole, you know, continue their alliance. And for him to be an effective ally, he has to still be a Knight of the King's Guard. So right. unless he's not, and then he's just becomes a random sworn shield. But I don't think I can't remember exactly how the story plays out, but really interested we'll to see. Find out what they say about if next week he's just reinstated with his white cloak and (laughs) they don't say anything about it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be kind of wondering what, but how, but anyway, I mean, he literally just, he beat this guy to death. Saucy. What seems like almost a random attack to the, to an outsider. We know the conversations that they had.
3: Right. Maybe he comes up with some
4: excuse, like he touched my butt, you know, or (laughs) 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 I mean, surely he's going to say, you know, he was trying to do something to the princess and he, and Jealous of and of
3: uh yeah Rhaenyra yeah maybe yeah maybe, I was wondering what is that what started the Scrum or was did he just take advantage of the chaos because we didn't really see exactly what started it I, right like maybe yeah, he saw know. Damon and Rhaenyra about to be kissing and he's just like ah like, I'm going after Joffrey
4: <laughs> I don't yeah, know yeah maybe yeah, yeah. I don't know it didn't seem like he was looking at Rhaenyra at all though so that seems unlikely. Right. Yeah. I think because of their conversation and everything else that had gone on with, with Kristen Cole in this episode, he was, he was at his wit's end. He wanted yeah. to run away with Rhaenyra and for them to have true love, but Rhaenyra wasn't going to have it. So, and then he confessed to Alicent and was expecting death. Yeah. I got some and questions about she just that said, too. She just said, mm-hmm. Allison just said, you may leave. He's like, oh, uh, what, what, what now? Yeah. I could just crazy. leave? What is happening right now? So, pretty crazy. And then, the, you know, there's this tearful wedding and right there in the hall, right after the fact. and Most sad, pathetic it, wedding of all time. It was, <laughs> yeah, I mean, versus what the Lannisters and, and Viserys had talked about, you know, this, you know, is the, the princess's wedding. It's, you know, going to be something totally epic and it turned out to be total opposite, totally off the cuff. And basically a shotgun wedding almost, you know, put on just like, Hey, grab the high septum and get over here. And they do, you know, they do a quick little ceremony. And then what happens to Viserys at the end? Just, Oh, he just collapses. Right. And yeah, what happens to his crown? It rolls right off his head. Oh man. What in the world? Then that's the end, except for this one little creature that may come up later. Gollum? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> Interestingly,
3: Gollum. you know, there was one of the lines during the wedding from the High Septon was, Here in the presence of gods and men, you know, I proclaim Lenor and Rhaenyra, etc. Titles, titles. Uh, but it was like there was two different kind of unions taking place in the sights of different gods in that scene because we had this scene in the the wedding taking place, but it was intercut with this scene in the godswood. And so within the sight of the old gods, Alicent showed up and saved Kristen Cole and prevented him mm-hmm. from killing himself. So it's like there's things that different gods are seeing. And it was just kind of a cool parallel. If if Kristen Cole teams up with Alicent, which seems likely <laughs> Then, uh, you know, it was like two different unions were happening at that moment. Definitely. Definitely. So, yeah, I think that wraps up that scene. The dance and the wedding scene, like a scene, we got all these different players arriving and maneuvering and literally dancing and sort of all representing the the combat and the war that's going to be happening and how everybody's kind of got their own ambitions and... Nothing, you know, it's going to be really unpredictable and chaotic and just lots of pieces moving around.
4: And I thought that the dance symbolized that pretty well. Pretty cool stuff. Yep. And lots of different people, lots of different players dancing, you know, between obviously Rhaenyra and Lenor, but then uh, Leia and Damon and all the other lords and ladies. Uh, Damon cuts in with uh, between Rhaenyra and Harwin Strong. Oh, yeah. She has had a couple run-ins with with Harwin, right? Hasn't she? Yep. So it's a lot of different players, you know, on the board, on the dance floor. And obviously there'll be a lot of players in the the Dance of the Dragons yet to come.
3: Definitely. And the dance sort of begins at this dance, at this, you know, scene leading up to the wedding where she comes out in the green dress. And it's like that when the, that's when the factions seem to start forming.
2: Yep. Good stuff. Excellent.
1: So what
3: do you have for your number four?
4: My number four uh, is uh, Otto Hightower and Alicent's scene as he exits King's Landing.
3: Perfect. That fits right Um, in with
4: mine. I'll be able to take it right from there and go on. Nice. It, uh, you know, as you know, I found this super cut of all people from all these different movies saying, a storm's coming. A storm's coming. <laughs> storms <laughs> <So> everywhere. <laughs> search search uh YouTube's supercut storm is coming. And the one I was thinking of is when uh in uh, the dark night rises when Anne Hathaway is dancing with uh Bruce Wayne and she says Mr. Wayne, there's a storm coming. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh Otto back to Otto and Allison, they uh Allison runs out there and it's just a funny note that they have umbrellas. I just wasn't expecting to see umbrellas in medieval right, times. Huge umbrella. It makes, it makes sense that I just never really thought about whether they had umbrellas in medieval times or not. <laughs> yeah. But she runs up there and, you know, there's it's raining and there's, you know, thunder rumbling. And it's like, obviously, there's the storm is the physical storm is there. But there's this metaphysical, you know, story. Storm that's bigger than you know all the characters you know yeah, coming and uh, impending. Otto even says that you know and and if you talked last week about how Alicent's actions with Rhaenyra and the Godswood and kind of giving up that she had overheard Otto and Viserys' conversation that made that made this whole thing possible where Rhaenyra comes to Viserys and says, "Okay, yes, I will." Mary Lenor, but you have to get rid of the vulture perched on your throne, you know, talking about Otto. So Otto kind of throws that in Alicent's face, which yeah. was, uh, I wasn't really expecting Neither that. He, he, he understands what happened, you know, with Alicent and how he says, you chose Rhaenyra. She swore her innocence and I believed her. You wanted to believe her as did her father, because Otto was telling Viserys the truth about Damon and Rhaenyra being out together that night. Um, and then they they talk about, you know, uh, Allison says she, she didn't foresee this, you know, turn of events happening. You should and, have. And uh, Otto is always, look, you know, playing chess, you know, three, four or five steps ahead. He would have uh, seen this, but Allison is still young in the game, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So uh, he told her tells that she, uh, she should have seen this coming. Um, and she tries to blame Otto for playing, you know, pushing Aegon.
3: If you'd not been so relentless in advancing, Aegon is air.
4: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the thunder rumbles right here. And yeah. did you notice the horse like wince not winces, but winnie's it, like a little uh wickers, winnies and kind of shudders a little bit. Uh, I don't know if they timed this the thunder, you know, in the audio cut after they had the footage to line up with the horse kind of randomly. You know, shaking right there, but it was pretty cool. The thunder nice. and the horse. You know, the horse is kind of nervous. Awesome you know, movement was uh, was in was right there in time with the thunder. And uh, Otto talks about obviously the king will die. You know, he's getting worse and worse. He will not live to be an old man. And uh, he says the realm will not accept Rhaenyra. He, I mean, he just tells her to secure her claim. Uh, Rhaenyra will put your children to the sword. She'll have no choice. And Alicent still can't really come to terms with that kind of brutality for the throne. That right. is what monarchs have done you know, historically in real life. She'll have no choice. Um,
3: it reminds me of, uh, what is it? The mountain sliced Rhaegar's wife in half, right? And then dashed the baby's mm-hmm. heads against the wall, but they were spirited away and it was decoys, right? Wasn't it something like that? Danny ended up escaping. because oh, this,
4: yeah, in the book says young Griff. won wait, yeah, man, I can't, I can't remember all that stuff. <laughs> I'm trying to find it in the script here. He says, "War! It will be war." Listen to me, daughter. The king will die. It may be
1: months or years, but he will not live to be an old man. And if Ramirez succeeds him, war will follow. Do you understand?
4: the way he says war is so awesome. He kind of pauses on, you know, if and if Rhaenyra succeeds him, war will follow. Do you understand? <laughs> so nice. it's mad. He was dude. I don't, that that Reese Ill fans. He's really killing it as Otto. And I don't like the character Otto, but some of his lines, like that conversation he had with Allison two episodes ago, about how the path the path forward is unclear, but in the end, Aegon. Will rule. I was just man. He's just. I really like Reese fans as Otto. I know, dude. It was so. He's been so good in this role. So it's- just this whole conversation with her and how, in the end, he pushes Alicent to the understanding that it's going to come down to Rhaenyra and her children. You know, the, you know, future children versus you and your children. Yeah. And that's just, I think that continues to linger in Allison's mind.
3: That's probably the motivating factor. I think that makes her really like start to take things seriously. Cause when you have that motherly instinct and something threatens your kid and she hadn't really considered it like that before, she's wearing the red and the black. She's like, you know, Renera is going to be cool because I'm cool. I'm not pushing anything. Everything's going to be fine. But it's when this moment where her dad explains to her like your kids are in danger that that motherly instinct kicks in and she switches her dresses to green like <laughs> you know like coming up pretty soon and uh, totally changes her allegiances effectively and I fa- I found it. During the sack of King's Landing, the Lannisters needed a way to prove their loyalty to Robert's cause, and Rhaegar's children had to die to ensure Robert's claim to the throne. So two of Tywin's knights, Gregor Clegane and Amory Lorch, scaled the walls of Magor's holdfast. Amory dragged Princess Rhaenys Targaryen from under Rhaegar's bed and stabbed her half a hundred times. Gregor smashed the head of the infant Prince Aegon in front of his mother... Princess Elia Martell. Elia Martell, that's the one who got cut in half by the mountain, right? Elia Martell, you raped her, you murdered her. (laughs) You killed her children. (laughs) This fight with the Red Viper. Uh, So Gregor smashes the head of the infant Prince Aegon in front of his mother, Elia Martell, in the nursery, and then rapes and murders Elia with Aegon's brains still on his hands, (laughs) according to... The wiki of ice and fire. So the reference of killing kids of of rival heirs, uh competitors for the throne, rings all too true for people who are familiar with the uh, you know, the story of the sacking of King's Landing, which hasn't taken place during, you know, yet at this time for the show, obviously. So reader watchers, viewers who are familiar with the story are like, oh shit, this is (laughs) this is serious. (laughs) Yeah, that that plants the seeds for Al. Allison's shift, and she realizes her top loyalty must be to her children. And uh, it's from here that she decides to further investigate. Anything else you want to add
4: regarding this scene? I don't think so. I was I was trying to see about where how young Griff and how that is explained. How basically who young Griff ends up being? Is I can't it Aegon? Either
3: he's oh so he t- claims to be Aegon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what the story is. He claims to be... He's told that he is Aegon Targaryen and he's being raised by the people that Tyrion ends up being with over in Volantis and stuff.
4: Yeah, yeah. So, according... Let's see. So, Tyrion Lannister meets young Grif, um, blah, 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 shy maid, you know, Volantis. Um, Tyrion concludes that Griff is Lord John Connington and that young Griff is not his son, but instead Aegon Targaryen. Young Griff explains his apparent survival to Tyrion while they play the game Savas. Uh, according wow. to his account, the infant killed during the sack of King's Landing was a tanner infant's son born at Pisswater Bend. <laughs> about that name? <laughs> a street <laughs> of King's Landing. Uh, the child's mother had died at birth. The tanner sold his boy to Varys for a jug of wine since he already had other sons and had never tasted arbor gold. While wow. Varys oh. arranged the swap between the two infants. Elia received the Tanner's son, whom Tyrion dubs the Pisswater Prince, while Varys took custody of the real Prince Aegon. Tyrion deduces that once the imposter infant was dead, at Gregor Clegane's hand, Varys smuggled the genuine Aegon across the Narrow Sea, uh, where he was first entrusted to Illyrio Mopatis and later to the exiled Lord John Connington, uh, on and on and on.
3: It's through Illyrio Uh,
4: that Tyrion gets hooked up with that crowd, too. Yeah, and he, I'm pretty sure he gives uh, Daenerys the three dragon eggs as a wedding gift. Oh shit! Yeah, that's pretty that's, sure. that's,
3: that's probably. I think that's true. Uh, so anyway, I'm that's still a stuck on pisswater bend, bro. We got to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> think about what that means. It's like they don't have sewage. So people are dumping their chamber pots and stuff into the streets. All that piss is forming a river. It must be a spot in that piss river where it like bends with the natural curvature of the land down in Flea Bottom or something. That is fucking crazy. Pisswater bend. I'm just glad I'm not
4: from Pisswater bend. So anyway, that's a little bit of a book deep dive on, you know, (laughs) what happened to the actual baby. Who were the actual babies in the sack of King's Landing? And yeah, uh, it could set up a. You know, two Aegons. You know, Agon, young Griff Aegon and you know
3: Aegon John Snow. It's something that never got explored in the show, but in the books, it's like a yeah, big not thing. At all. Big thing. You got if you haven't read the books, email us
4: and we'll send you a free audio book. Yeah, and it's still to come. That's why we want the books, George. <laughs> yeah, finish the books, sorry. <laughs> finish the books, George.
3: Get off of the freaking trampoline, okay? Okay. Put down the, the bongos. Finish the books. For <laughs> <laughs> that Conan O'Brien
4: skit? Yep. So that's my number four.
3: All right. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And at the end of that scene, he's basically telling her, like, you know that this is true. You know this to be true. Search your feelings, Alicent. You know, you choose not to see it. The time is coming. Either you prepare Aegon to rule or you cleave to Rhaenyra and pray for her mercy. Lots of really nice language in this episode.
4: Yeah, really great writing.
3: Yeah, this was a very well-written episode.
1: Either you prepare Aegon to rule or you cleave to Rhaenyra and pray for her mercy.
3: <laughs> and um, this seems to terrify Allison, who's like, <gasps> standing there shaking. <laughs> and she, at this point, she's still wearing a red dress, which I noticed. Uh, it's not until later when she finally has uh, yeah. confirmation mm-hmm. of her, the, what she considers a betrayal from her friend that she switches. But this fits right in with my number four, which is Allison's shift. And just her transformation in this episode and her allegiance changing from the Targaryens to herself and to her children. And uh, one other little thing about this opening scene with her and Otto is that we're getting some cool angles of the Red Keep's outer walls Mm -hmm. uh, that I don't think we ever saw in Game of Thrones and another shot of like an entryway um, into the keep, which is pretty cool. Really great, fantastic look scenery and stuff. And that's like really impressive. And they can do all this in the volume now without any issues. Basically, shoot any angle, any location with just like a tiny little bit of set for people to stand on, and they can superimpose in everything else. It's so now it's impossible to tell what's real and what's not. Um, pretty pretty awesome. So this is the step one in her transformation was her conversation with Otto that puts her on guard and gets her thinking about her children. Then Allison goes to the godswood to contemplate the situation. And it's at this point that we see that the heart tree is leaking sap from its eyes like bloody tears. I don't remember seeing that before. Was that the case? Was it not like that in prior episodes? I
4: don't think they've showed it. Because they've showed the face. But maybe they... But uh yeah. yeah, I don't remember it, so it must not have been.
3: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. So, it seems like that the old gods are not happy with what they're seeing. <laughs> with all the stuff they've been witnessing lately. Mm-hmm. You know, the incestual conversation in front of them between uh, Rhaenyra and Daemon. Rhaenyra deceiving Alicent, who's just trying to help her. It seems like the old gods are starting to turn on Rhaenyra and side with Alicent potentially (laughs) if that's a thing oh and also anytime we're in front of a weirwood we have to remember that bran could be watching because if you remember in game of thrones bran was seeing visions through the weirwood from all different times he witnessed hodor as a child um having his hold door hold the door hold the door hold on hold on hodor hodor his fit he saw Mm -hmm. i think uh he was watching the 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 tower of joy scene with ned showing up and he calls out to him and ned kind of turns like he heard something but he can't see bran and who's standing there watching with the three-eyed raven he talks to theon at one point through a tree uh (laughs) you know and he's like bran can see like through time with the tree so it's possible that bran or the three-eyed raven is watching this stuff happening and influencing things through the, through the, 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 leaves and, and the trees and the aminals. I said that on purpose, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not, you know and uh, so that's a factor that we have to keep in mind as well. But um, so all of a sudden, Larry Strong, the club footed guy shows up out of nowhere talking about a plant. And it's really like a metaphor for her. And he's talking about, he says, oh, an outsider among the natives. And she's like, huh? Malvales, <laughs> a type of flower that this is. A rare bloom, indigenous to bravos. There's something similar about that too, I think. And Danny remember grow, remembered growing up and... Daenerys in a place with a red door with a, a tree mm-hmm. that has I don't know it's, it, this reminded me oh, of A tree
4: or something like that.
3: Yeah, and so he's basically talking about this flower, but he's talking about Alicent and how she, by all rights, shouldn't be thriving here. As he says about the 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 plant, nature such such mystery, and <laughs> Alicent doesn't necessarily pick up that he's talking about her and her unlikely thriving in the dangerous cutthroat environment of King's Landing. And so she replies, Well, the weather has been lovely. <laughs> talking literally about the plant, which I thought was funny. And so he has to advance and uh, you know, make it more clear that he's talking about using meta- talking in metaphors. Indeed. And yet it is mm-hmm. a dark it is a dark day for the realm. You know, your father was a good man and he laments about Otto Hightower leaving, even though his father has been raised in power because of it. And so she, I noticed that at this point, she looks like semi-shook by this conversation and she turns her back and she takes a moment to, uh, to kind of like collect herself <laughs> because she's intimidated and nervous by this slinking figure who's like obviously angling. And, but then she snaps into character and turns around and she's like, boom, on point to playing the queen role and just killing it. And uh, she returns the compliment, as is yours, who took his place, saying his father is a good man. And uh, he's talking about how like something feels strange and and, and injustice regarding her father's departure. And I'm getting, I'm starting to get a a distinct Littlefinger vibe at this moment. Something about these two, you know, Mm. and yet still the manner of your father's departure feels something of an injustice. I could, you know, (laughs) all these lines I could picture as Littlefinger
4: yeah remember because there's the peter baelish voice and then there's the Littlefinger voice right
3: right right oh yeah i always had trouble distinguishing them other people were better at picking that up kind of to a little
4: bit basically when he kind of got down low and did the creepy voice i mean that's little finger chaos is a ladder
3: <laughs> yeah, that makes <laughs> sense <laughs> definitely so um and she's like, you know surprised by this, and we get a little bit of ominous thunder as he's after he says it, and she's like, "What do you know of the manner of his leaving like how is how does this dude know anything about this Mhm- and uh he explains when one is never invited to speak, <laughs> one learns instead to um observe, <laughs> and uh you're perhaps in need of an ally, and uh He's talking about how, you know, we got this scene also, remember with him at the hunt when he shows up with all the women and he's like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. my foot is messed up. Can I hang with you ladies instead since I can't go hunting? And they're like, yeah, sure, sit down. And he's
4: picking up on all the gossip from the court. Yeah, you what know? better way to learn about all the goings on from all the different houses yeah. and all the different, uh, the Stormlanders, <laughs> the Reach people. You know, if there's Riverland people here. You know, he can get the scoop on everybody from all the different areas who are there for the royal hunt.
3: Yeah, with the clucking hens, you know, (laughs) sit sit around for a little bit with them. And and he was saying, you're perhaps in need of an ally. She's like, "Uh, I'm the queen. I have all kinds of allies, dude. Uh, And he's like, naturally. Princess Rhaenyra, for example, hinting that he knows that there's some kind of fracture between their relationship (laughs) and she's like state your purpose like what the hell you know just kind of like Kristen Cole was saying like state your damn purpose already like what are you talking about if you're going to say something just say it I noticed
4: that that was similar lines both of them used to uh, with the club. oh yeah yeah uh, yeah and Joffrey. To, uh, Joffrey. When was like, I'm on watch. State your business. <laughs> uh, I
3: just thought of a kind of another parallel between Alicent and Princess Rhaenys also, <laughs> which was that one of them is now like seeking power and kingship in order to protect their child. Uh, Alicent fearing for Aegon's life and wanting to make him the heir to protect him. And it's the opposite with Rhaenys. Who is was worried about putting Lenor in the line of succession, being the king consort, because it would put him in danger. So it's it's interesting. She's been through it, and she's like, ah, we, you know, like hesitant to go forth with the marriage because it's putting Leinor in danger. So that was kind of an interesting and opposite parallel. But yeah. Laris brings up that the fa- he thinks that the princess is unwell, <laughs> which he probably knows isn't the case, clearly. But he's you know, saying that just to open the door to
4: the conversation. And, mm-hmm. What do you mean, unwell? She just <laughs> sailed to Driftmark uh, at daybreak. Yeah. And so. Yes- where is it? Yesterday at daybreak, I think.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And so not only does he know that there's a tea, but he knows it was delivered by the Grand Maester himself.
4: Oh, and, how does he know this?
3: Those remember those shots within the walls, uh, or that we were talking about, where it looked, they were like lurking mm-hmm. shots. They're in the Kristen Cole sex scene. Maybe Larrys is in the walls. <laughs>
4: um, yeah, I mean it. Could, yeah, I don't know. And maybe you know, you were saying some guy historically faked uh, some kind of disability, a clubfoot or something. Oh, it else. was. Uh, I mean, it was. In the, the movie, The Usual Suspects, Kaiser Soze,
3: <laughs> mm. he's like walking with a, a gimpy foot and then his foot slowly straightens out at the end and he like walks off. Spoiler alert for the 1999
4: <laughs> 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 The Usual Suspects. Awesome movie. If you haven't seen it, check it out. But I mean, maybe all the, you know, nobody would suspect him, but it's all the ruse to uh, to keep everyone unsuspecting of him, you know, right. being a cripple. and But he actually can move swiftly and quietly yeah. through the walls of
3: the Red Keep crazy it's like uh sun tzu says when you're strong act weak and when you're weak act strong right (laughs) so so he is his last name literally is strong maybe he's acting weak (laughs) bro that's yeah (laughs) that's hardcore uh (laughs) laughing over here so yeah he's like yeah you know the night that your father was dismissed the grand maester delivered a tea and uh you know, at the direction of the king, as I understand it. So either he's talking with his dad or he's got spies. One of the two, because Lionel is like one of the only people that might know about this in terms of
4: it being from the king and everything like that. So uh right. yeah, depending on how quickly Viserys brought him in and yeah. read him into read him into all the secrets that he didn't otherwise know about as master of laws now that he's hand. So all right, you know Otto is out. You're in. Here's the deal with Rhaenyra. I'm sending her with Melos. I'm sending her this tea. And he just goes down the list of things he needs to brief. uh, Strong on, Lionel Strong on. And yeah, maybe loose lips, sink ships. Maybe Lionel's talking talking business around his son. The other question is, is that something
3: he would even debrief? um him about though the the fact that oh you know you're you're my new hand just so you know my daughter potentially committed adult you know <laughs> committed uh, a a uh, you know had sex before she was married and so we're going to give her some abortion tea just so you know just so or
4: you know we were thinking about maybe maybe uh auto the tea instead of the king actually but if he had just been dismissed yeah in theory Melos may not take orders, quote unquote, from Otto anymore. But if they're in cahoots, as far as, you know, the Citadel and the Hightower, they could still be working together, even though the hand, even though Otto isn't hand anymore. He and Melos could still be. Because in this episode, we don't, we, I don't think we get any indication that Viserys knows about the T. Or not, you know, whether or not he knows about the tea. True. Although um, I
3: was thinking about it, and if they brought her a tea, what if she was offended and she went to be like, you sent moon tea to the to Viserys? And he's like, I didn't send any tea. It might not be the smartest mm. idea to claim that it was from the king if it really
4: wasn't. Yeah, that could pretty easily backfire. Because Rhaenyra and Viserys have a close relationship, that could definitely blow up in their face. Yeah, all she's got to do is say
3: something. Even if she was just like, Uh, that tea was gross. And he's like, What tea? You know <laughs> But yeah, in this scene, L- Laris is is super creepy, the way he's kind of like creeping around behind her and has this look in his face. He's very snake like.
4: Definitely. I think he sort of like how they used to do with Baelish sometimes, uh, you hear his voice before in the scene. Him. Before you see him. And <laughs> so he's literally like. Creeping on the audience and the other person in the scene as well. Nice. So I think that would, when he first says uh, his first line to Allison, an outsider among the natives. Oh, and like everybody's like, what? Who? Because it showed the the godswood, the uh, weirwood tree and the weeping eyes. And it showed Allison. And then right in there, I think he says that line and she's like, turns. It's like Lord Laris. Like, what? <laughs> What? Why are you talking to me right now? Where yeah, did you hell? come from? How'd you get here? <laughs> it's a sneaky little quick foot. But one other thing is, so in general, Lionel Strong has advised Viserys to marry Lena Valerian. Didn't do that. Now he advised, at the hunt, he advised maybe marrying Rhaenyra to Laenor, which the king ends up taking his advice and doing that. And for the most part, Lionel Strong seems to be pretty aligned with Corlys. As far as what to do about the Stepstones, uh, what to do about Lena and Lenor and Rhaenyra's marriage and King Viserys' marriage. So it seems like, for the most part, Lionel Strong and Corlys Velaryon are, at least, I mean, they're amicable, if not, you know, on the same side of most issues that king and court are facing. Seems like it, yeah. So, and now lenor and Rhaenyra are married, so they're basically, you know, on... The blacks, the green, you know, the greens and the blacks is the, f- the factions going forward. Mm-hmm. So you would think that Lionel Strong would probably be on the side with the Valerians and Rhaenyra. But here, Laris Strong is maneuvering to try to team up with Allison. So either they're playing both sides, they're trying to play both sides, and whoever wins, wins, and you still come out with the winner. Or Laris is working to a different end than his father, or something else. I'm not sure, but it's inter- it was, seemed interesting that the hand of the king is with Viserys and Viserys is still saying Rhaenyra's the heir, you know, as she's married Lenor now, they've made an alliance with House Velaryon, you know, by marriage now. Yeah. But Laerys the Clubfoot is, you know, kind of machinating towards the Greens. Yeah, it's so interesting. It interesting to see what what goes what happens with that going forward. Makes me think there's some kind of
3: deeper scheming going on. So he's he says like man for Melos himself to bring it you know it must be something serious and, and gets the gears turning in Allison's head you know and she's like huh and she gets like a little paranoid and then the next we see her it's as Viserys is arriving home from his uh, from his trip to Driftmark to High tide and this is the fourth moment that i was talking about from your list of things that were influencing allison mm-hmm. earlier because it's at this moment that viserys arrives home and he's all kind of fucked up as he's heavily breathing stepping off of the ship and then he collapses under the ground mm-hmm. and and everybody's freaking out and harold westerling is calling a maester and everything and as allison watches from the balcony and Viserys collapses. She like <gasps> jumps in horror, and like mm-hmm. and and is watching with her eyes wide as as uh, dinner plates, basically. And I think it's at this moment where her father's warning. It's one thing to get a warning, but then it's another thing to get a timeline. You know, so he he told her he will not. You know, Viserys won't live to be an old man. And now she's watching him falling apart and collapsing in front of her, and she's thinking, "Oh my God, my kids are not only in danger; they are in imminent danger. If he dies, Rhaenyra and her and that squad could make a move at any moment." So Mm -hmm. it's
4: just like Cersei did.
3: Yeah. So she's like, I got to start taking this situation seriously. And that's when she starts doing her investigative work. And it's immediately following that, that she calls Kristen Cole in and (laughs) to have their little conversation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, uh, so Kristen Cole's walking up the spiral staircase within a tower and, uh, somebody calls him, Sir Kristen, you've been summoned. And he's like, I just left the princess three minutes ago. Like, come on, lady. You know what? Like, what the hell's wrong with you, Rainier? And they're like, not the princess, sir, the queen. And uh, someone that I was watching with was like, oh my God, did Viserys die? Rainier is the queen now?
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but no, it, it, it's Queen Alicent. And, oh, shit, he's in trouble. <laughs> Ooh, principal's office. Get to the principal's office. <laughs> and so he gets called up to her, and she calls him into the room and dismisses everybody else and has him sit down next to her, and he takes off his sword. I thought that was cool because it showed that his, the sheath of his sword is within like a sheath of its own on his belt, and he pulls out the whole sheath and leans it and then carefully takes his cape, pulls his cape back and sits down it reminded me of Homelander in <laughs> in, in um, the boys because every time he sits down he grabs his cape and like makes a show of sitting down without sitting on his cape and so he takes a seat and she she stands up switching the power dynamic and starts uh tentatively, hesitantly questioning him. And much like her father, when the hand Otto went to visit Viserys to inform him of Rhaenyra's wrongdoings, her sketchy little nighttime outing queen allison has uh <laughs> difficulty being completely up front and just saying the situation here she's so she's talking about uh, how i fear i must question you on a question you on a delicate matter and <laughs> there's like this back and forth where she can't quite say it you know and uh Kristen's assuring her like um you know i'm your servant as always and She's like, well, I know that you're, you're Rhaenyra's sworn protector and rightly loyal to her. I am, and uh, the night of Damon's return, dot dot dot. There's, there's been a rumor, dot dot dot, or rather. I received an accounting of dot, dot, dot. <laughs> a lapse of morals that may have occurred between dot, 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 And it shows Kristen and it's like, Kristen thinks she's talking about him. Yeah. Kristen's like, oh man, I'm, I'm busted. I'm so <laughs> busted right now. I knew I shouldn't have done this. Somebody knows and he's already feeling guilty. So it's on the tip of his, like the top of his mind anyway, fresh off this conversation with Renira from the boat and everything. And so he's like, oh my God, like they know. I've soiled my, my, my cloak. I'm screwed. And uh, so she's talking about it. She sort of pauses and she's like, it's, of course, unthinkable for me to question the virtue of the princess. That was a hilarious line. The writing in this episode is really good. Mm-hmm. Like the language that they use. And uh, whom I hold in highest regard. I did, however, wonder if... Uh, <laughs> And she stops again because you just can't get, she can't say it. And then this next line is great. I'm not unaware that in the flush of youth, (laughs) such eloquent wording, there may be errors made, breaches in resolve breaches or rather lapses she just can't say it and then before she can even get it out he's just like it happened to grace and she stops dead in her tracks with her back to him and so she's not looking at him at this moment Mm -hmm. and uh so he can't see her reactions so she's like oh my god like it happened she she boned damon it really happened and before she can react he adds the sin you alluded to i have committed it and her her, her her jaw drops and her eyes widened. She's like, oh my God, you did it? Like, I was thinking it was Damon this whole time. And I'm wondering if she's thinking, wow, did she bang Damon and Kristen? She gets around, you know, she went from the pleasure house to the pleasure chamber, <laughs> you know, from uncle yeah, to like Kingsguard.
4: Guard. She- yeah, she's just shocked, and she turns around so she doesn't give away her shock and surprise. Yeah, yeah, and she, exactly. She, it kind of takes her a minute to realize that, strategically, what a gift she's just been given.
0: Yeah. Having
4: this inside information about what the princess has done um, and oh, how yeah, she might can true. either use that to sully the princess's name— uh, Use it to destroy her claim to the Iron Throne. Right. Use it to turn Kristen Cole to be a double agent or maybe just, an, you know, go from being allied with Rhaenyra to being allied with Alicent. And it was her inability to just spit it out to where she got this huge uh, boon. But in the previous episode, Otto couldn't spit it out about what, what he had reports of them doing in the, in the Pleasure and House. And it made him seem like he was scheming. Yeah, and Viserys was like, spit it out. Just say it, sir. Yeah, say it, frustrated. man. Say, <laughs> say your business. You scheming. Just say your business. Yeah, yeah. Slithering snake. I, and then Otto Steel won't say it. Must I say it? They were <laughs> coupling. <laughs> but coupling. here, uh, Allison just kind of, s- not stumbles, but just slowly <clears throat> starts her questioning. And then because she don't finish the question and say, did Allison, uh, in a flush of youth, uh, couple with Damon?" Like if she if she had gotten to that part of her question, Cole would be like, "Oh, it's not me. Yeah, that, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't do that. What a horrible, wretched accusation! Like the the way Rhaenyra answered the accusation last totally. episode. Vile accusation. But Alicent <laughs> just can't get to the question, and Cole is just like the, he feels busted. The guilt and, is just bubbling and boiling within him. I
3: did it. It was me. It was me. <laughs> right I didn't even think about it like oh she's she realizes that it's a piece of leverage and that's probably why she's so late to the wedding is she's just spending this whole time thinking of like how she's gonna handle this how am I
4: gonna do this you
3: know and like what her next move is gonna be and uh he adds at her instigation it is true like she he was seduced by Rhaenyra but that should it is no excuse my oath has been broken I have dishonored myself I deserve no consideration. And she's still, her back is still turned to him and her face is like twitching as she considers all of this. Fantastic performance, brilliant performances all throughout this episode by all the actors. Kristen Cole completely blew me away. The actor that, playing Kristen Cole the scene on the ship with Rhaenyra just Mm -hmm. blew my mind I had no idea that like I was not expecting that this level of depth from this character and then to to like all of a sudden see it it was it was amazing and then Alicent in this scene too the the subtle little facial moves and becoming not so subtle as she (laughs) as she's hearing all this and man it was great and all of the implications are like um Soaking into her mind. And Kristen is just destroyed. He was already distraught. Now he's been busted. <laughs> he thinks. And uh, <laughs> he's ready to die. <laughs> he thinks he's going to be gelded. And he's, he's like, but if as a clement queen, you're inclined to pity. I would ask only this. That rather than gelding me and having me tortured, you would sentence me mercifully to death (laughs) and i'm like
4: oh my god yeah that's the good punishment
3: yeah yeah yeah, the good punishment it really also just like highlights sir Kristen's low self-esteem and self image at this point he's ready for Mm -hmm. death and it's too late for death over dishonor but death as a form of justice and and comeuppance is something he welcomes maybe he thinks that by confessing he's doing his best to regain what honor he's lost in, in committing the sin in the first place. And he's, he's by facing the consequences, he can at least make up for it a little bit, <laughs> but, uh, you know that death over dishonor is no longer an option, but death over dicklessness instead is is you know preferable. So he's like, "No way!" I watched Game of Thrones. He's thinking, "I ain't ending up like Theon Greyjoy. <laughs> no reek for for Kristen Cole." So uh, Allison is just overwhelmed by this whole situation. As is Sir Kristen. They're both just kind of sitting there, like, like uh, not knowing what's going to happen next. Even Allison doesn't know like how she's going to handle it. And she, she struggled to almost speak for a second facing him at this point. And then she turns her back again as she composes herself, which is something that she does really well. You know, she'll like turn away like she did with Laris and the Godwood and compose herself. <laughs> and, and then yeah. boom, she's on point. <laughs> like And uh uh. Maybe I was thinking because she seems to be like empathizing with Kristen Cole in this in in this whole situation. She doesn't she doesn't order him taken away by guards. She she dismisses him. You know, thank you for your honesty, sir Kristen. <laughs> She's got such a sweet, innocent voice. <laughs> thank you for your honesty, sir Kristen. You may go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking, like maybe. She's witnessing the pain and the the anguish that Kristen Cole is going through. And maybe having been forced to bed somebody herself, you know, with Viserys and Mm -hmm. this whole situation, maybe she feels sympathy to the difficult position he was put in. You know, what what, what can you say when a royal tries to drag you to bed? No? And risk (laughs) their wrath? You know, they have six ways to Sunday to get back (laughs) at you, so to speak. So... With this sympathy and empathy that she's feeling for him and dismissing him, like you said, maybe she's thinking, hmm, I can use him in the future. If he's going to be guarding mm. her, if he's going to be close to her, I can flip him. And I'm thinking also, like, I'm seeing a potential for a new love interest. It seemed almost like they're starting to connect a little bit. Like, Kristen Cole mm. doesn't see it, but it seems like she's starting to see him as, as, uh, as an empathetic, a sympathetic figure. Um, which there's a little bit more evidence of later when he's about to kill himself in the Godswood, and she's like, "No, you know, is it a romantic thing? Is it is it is it like just she just sees his potential as an ally, being a fighter and being a like a, a Kingsguard warrior? Is it is she potential that she can use him as a tool? I feel like there's it's more than that, more than just that. That that's definitely a factor. She can use him, but I feel like. There's like an element of something personal here that's developing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with, <laughs> with that in the future, if anything. I mean, Viserys is not long for this world. So, you know, the sky's the limit <laughs> moving forward. He's
4: probably going to look like Gollum next episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 Viserys. <laughs> the crown rolls off. He's like, my process,
3: my process. I'm the back of my process. so yeah she tells him you may go and he's like you know like really you're just gonna let me go Uh, it definitely surprises him because he's he must be thinking like if I was gonna be punished like this is the moment they'd have me dragged off in shackles right now and taken to the dungeon and so if that's not happening right now if they're giving me a chance to get away etc like what what's up with that? They're you know, I'm not being punished. So,
4: yeah, she would have immediately called for the Lord Commander of the King's
3: Guard and you know had him strung up post haste. Post haste, absolutely. Yeah. So that that pretty much wraps up my number four. Is th- these four events that caused the turning of the shift in Allison's mindset? Meeting with her father, being warned of the danger of her children. Being informed of the the nefarious, behind-the-scenes, scandalous info with Rhaenyra. Seeing Viserys fall and realizing that the situation is dire, more dire and more impending than she had realized. And then learning the truth from Kristen. And once it all comes together, she realizes that she can't trust Rhaenyra. That she's been deceived. That her kids are going to be in danger as, as the second that Viserys is dead. Or even even before that, potentially like there's, you're never safe, you know? Um, yeah. So she, she bunk hunkers down, bunkers down in her, in her chambers, even as the wedding is starting to take place, the, the the feast and everything. And then when she finally figures out her plan, she puts on that green dress And waltzes into that room and the second that she appears, Viserys stops dead in his tracks mid-speech, seeing the green color, seeing the implications of that. And uh, it shows the reactions of the crowd also a little bit. And Lionel Strong, who's next to them at the high table, is one I took note of who kind of like looks up and he's like, oh, you know, like, oh, wow, look, like." She's wearing this green because she's been wearing red and black this whole time. And if she switches to green, that means something. And it's everybody in that room got the meaning. And I think that's why Sir Harold was too shocked to even (laughs) to even announce her (laughs) because he's like, oh, my God, laddie, this is getting crazy.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. How about your number three? What do you got, bro? My number three is a, a compromise well struck, uh, kind of taking the story to Driftmark. Um The boat right over there is obviously miserable for Viserys. You know, he's hurling. He, he has the a, a royal puke bucket guy. Uh, <laughs> he waves him off. He oh, waves him
3: off, like you meant, like you're saying. You know, that's sort of like a personification of manifica- manifestation of the king shits and the hand wipes. You know, the <laughs> the king pukes, the hand
4: dabs. <laughs> yeah, it gives, it gives him so he he waves off the the bucket guy and then runs over to the rail. Uh Lionel Strong gives him a, a handkerchief, which I hope he has an extra. And obviously, yeah, right. it's just Viserys looks horrible and just completely falling apart the whole episode, and then. They get to they get to Driftmark and crickets. There's nobody there. Wait, what is happening? This and is how you greet your king. Where the hell is the, the Lord king. of Driftmark? <clears throat> I remember when uh, I mean even the procession of of lords and knights that met Rhaenyra at uh, Storm's End last week, uh, and how the the Starks received the Baratheons. You know, in the first episode of of the original series, this is this huge to do. You know, when the king comes to visit. Yeah, exactly. And they even say it later, though. But it's it, Viserys is really lowering himself, coming to Driftmark and asking for this rela- this proposal. Yeah. Oh, versus so, summoning so low. them. Yeah. A power, you know, the, a power move would be it to have the king summon Corlys and Rhaenys to King's Landing and have this whole conversation from the throne. Yeah. But here we are. And uh, the really cool castle is on this kind of rocky island, you know, that is Driftmark that sits out in the narrow sea. And this is a new, a relatively new castle that Corliss has had built, um, you know, after he accumulated his wealth. Even though it looks like the um, outer wall is kind of like ripped apart, <laughs> like, I was like, look yeah. at that! Like,
3: doesn't really look very new. <laughs> but, yeah, it's the storms, man. Oh yeah, it's cool um,
4: though. It's it's a really cool place. It's built from this, uh, like this uh, pale colored stone. I think they got from the Erie. Um, oh, nice. But anyway, and then we go inside and we get to see the Driftwood Throne. That was uh, really cool. Gifted I mean, by mermen. Yeah, how large and oversized it is, you know, kind of off to one side. I mean, it looks like Driftwood, but yeah. it's obviously been fashioned into this really cool throne, you know. Super I don't know cool. I are allowed to call it a throne. There's a there seat.
3: Are, as they're walking <clears throat> into the room, too, I noticed as he's kind of like walking around a curved hallway, there are these statues where there are these skulls wearing these helmets, and they look very much like Egyptian helmets that I've seen before. Yeah. So that was kind of
4: cool as well. Very cool. And then when we, after we, they have their conversation, and then we come back for the scene between Corlys and Rainius. Did you see what he was staring at? Corlys was staring at at the very beginning of that scene? Oh, yeah, I did. I did. The crab feeder's mask. Yeah. I didn't catch that until the rewatch. Same but, here. Uh, I was like, oh, that's, that's the mask. Because you only get to kind of see one side of it. Yeah. It was like I saw it, but it didn't register. Yeah. Oh, that was so good. And he smirks at it too. So Damon brought the hammer to add to the Iron Throne last week and had the little driftwood crown, but he let Corlys keep the uh, the mask of the crab feeders. Makes so.
3: sense because the crab feeder had been like, you know, destroying the Valerian ships and it's been the Valerians' problem. So he was like, mm-hmm. Damon's probably like, you know, this has been your problem. I've helped. But since you had the beef with this guy, in reality, you can have the face mask. <laughs> that's that's the
4: vibe I got. Yeah, um, Rhaenyra gets shut out of the meeting, um, really like cl- the door closed in her face Yeah, uh, by the Kingsguard. And the Kings, I think it was um, Kristen Cole who says, I'm sorry, <laughs> like he slams the door in her face. Is like, oh, sorry. Uh, but then Lena says, come, let's go find some breakfast, which is kind of a funny line.
3: Oh, yeah. Um, what is the wording? She said, let's see what's to be had for breakfast. Let us
4: discover what might be had for breakfast. Yeah, more of that cool <laughs> language in this episode. Yeah. Um, Viserys goes in there and he's coughing and just, you know, not looking that good. And Corlys is sitting on uh, the driftwood throne. Uh, and, but he comes down and kneels and Viserys, you know, starts coughing and Corlys kind of looks up at him. And is like, bro, what is wrong with this dude? Um, he has him stand up. They try to get him a chair. He's like, "Oh no, I'm fine. I'm fine." <laughs> uh, like, bro, he is far from fine. Yeah. And then Rainey comes in, and uh you know, "Oh, cousin, are you well?" He says, "Very." And ugh. she grabs at his hand. It's like, "Oh, those fingers are not there." Yeah. And he, he <laughs> so, like
3: recoils, kind of, good and goes, uh, as well. Like it hurts. And then, we, like, yeah, when he sees his whole arm, oh, painful. Yeah, his
4: arm is gnarly looking. You know, there's some pleasantries. Uh, Corlys congratulates Lionel on becoming hand of the king. He compliment uh, Viserys. Compliments them on you know how cool High Tide is and how the grandeur. Uh, he likes the grand the Red Keep, but the no, the halls of High Tide never fail to impress.
3: Yeah, <clears throat> um, it is a pretty cool ass hall, and all the stuff that's in it too. Yeah, absolutely. All this this huge like barn not
4: barnacle but like this like just, a conch like shell. shell or some kind of thing. Yeah, like a huge massive conch shell. like five foot uh, diameter. Okay. Cool nautical. So we got to see a little bit of his study in episode two. Oh yeah, with the Damon end of one or two uh when Damon and corliss have their little meeting. But we get to see a lot more of his crib. This is like a uh, Westeros cribs. <laughs> yeah,
3: back, we got to see to multiple this episode. We got to see High Tide. We got to see um runestone in the you know off in the distance a little bit. Like mm-hmm. I love seeing all the castles.
4: <laughs> yeah, very nice. Uh, we get news of of what actually happened to uh, Rhea Royce. Um, she has passed a hunting mishap thrown from her horse, neck and skull both crushed. So the last that we saw her, Damon's walking up to her with the rock, or with the huge stone, uh, but she was still alive. But obviously we're, we're led to believe that he killed her. Um, and then... They tell us, you know, here in this scene, her neck and skull both crushed. You're know, like, oh, oh, so, he did yeah, it. Damon, Damon really, ugh, did. A she number crossed on her. the
3: line when she made the erectile dysfunction <laughs> joke.
4: <laughs> yeah, he may, he may have planned to just leave her to die. Or, we don't even you know, know. leave her paralyzed. He didn't
3: say anything. She came to nope. all those conclusions herself. You know, and then she went to arm
4: herself. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but. <laughs> No, you're fine, but that's I mean that's that's what was happening. She knew the truth of it. She's like, "Oh, what are you going to do, uh, kill Rhaenyra? <laughs> and then it was like he just looks at her and she looks at him and she's like, "Oh, oh no." He <laughs> yep. wants to he, wa- he wants to he wants to combine his and Rhaenyra's strength. So, to do oh, that, he needs me out of the way and just the wheels are turning in her head quickly and she yeah, realizes how much
3: danger she's truly in. She's like verbally going through the logical progression
4: of <laughs> of the events and <laughs> definitely um but then like corliss and and ranius and viserys and lionel strong kind of all come to the same conclusion uh a most surprising end her skill as writer and hunter were well known so it's like hmm yeah so what 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 is really going on here a hunting mishap uh, yeah (laughs) sure Uh nobody believes
3: that uh but but Um, um the Viserys doesn't want to hear it. He's, you know, he's like, let's change the topic to more, something more pleasant, basically. (laughs) Cause he probably knows it, but he just can't bring himself to confront the truth about Damon.
4: Exactly. Stood to inherit runestone, you know, uh, Damon had no heirs and, uh, yeah, Viserys is like uh, that. Okay, you're getting into the, all the politicking again. I'm here to do my own politicking. It's like I In understand you're hinting <laughs> that
3: Daemon did it. Let's stop this. I don't want to get
4: happier pursuits. And of course, you know he's you know he comes to him with a marriage proposal. <laughs> um, you know the last pillars of old Valyria, but actually there was uh, the Celtigars or Celtigars, where they've been totally written out of the show. So no, yeah. no team. Sorry for Team Celtigar.
3: There's a couple other families too, like the Kohoryses or something. There are a few other Valyrian families that had ended up, in, ended up in Westeros that are now completely extinct. And uh, the, the last mm-hmm. true-blooded direct descendants of, of Valyria are the Targaryens, the Valerians, and then the Celtigars, like you said. But apparently, yeah, they've been completely written out of show. No love for crab people. Crab. Because their uh, their sigil is the crab, crab on, people.
4: crab people. Nice, um, but anyway, <laughs> the last period pillars of old Valeria. Um, cool way to describe it. They yeah they, they oh a generous proposal, but uh, let's let's iron out these details. And it, when I was watching, I was like, what is he talking about? His son is really going to come king consort. What more could he want? And then you know they talk about the names. All right, who's going to have what name? You know, blah blah blah. Matters of um,
3: pride. Mm-hmm. You know, this is part plays into my number three, which is uh, nice. all this, the, the pro the pride of these various characters. And, um, you know, that pretty much speaks for itself. He's interested in his name, propelling his name forward and making sure Valerian stays a thing. And uh, it's understandable. Who wouldn't mm-hmm. want to, uh, to propagate their, their house etc. But, uh, you know, it is coming from a place of pride and, and, and so forth. But yeah, that's, that's all I really wanted to say.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, Viserys is, oh, sure. Yeah, they, they can be born Valerians, no problem. Of course, Corlys would love for a Valerian to be, you know, king or queen of the seven kingdoms. But uh, that's where Viserys draws the line. He's <laughs> like, Surely you, you don't think the Targaryen dynasty should end just because Rhaenyra is a girl. Um, and Raines you know,
3: is sitting on the Driftwood throne at that moment. And she kind of yeah. chuckles at that probably because Viserys mm-hmm. was fine with taking the crown out from under her because she's a woman. Like, oh, now you don't care if
4: it's a woman. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. They try to bring him another ch- a chair. They try to bring him a chair again as he like has a little coffin fit. Um, yeah, and Lionel's watching nervously. The they, they uh, you know, they try to. He's like, oh, I'll just, you know, earlier he says, oh, I'm just seeking clarity, you know, when he's trying to get as much power as he can out of the situation. But Viserys says um, they can be Valerians, but, you know, when they take the Iron Throne, their name will be Targaryen, which, you know, is kind of a, an interesting way to uh, that they wrote it out uh, yeah. for, for them to to come to an equitable compromise, as, Yeah, uh, Corlys says. It's very uh, articulate phrasing there and the, when he
3: finishes uh, dragons will rule the seven kingdoms for the next hundred years just as they did the last and silence fills the hall and Rainys and you know and Corlys is just blank faced, staring at him he looks like looks like mad like poker face like he's pissed off like he's you know and, and he glances over looks at Rainys, and King Viserys has a great shot there's a great shot of him where
4: he's like hmm <laughs> you know, like watching their reactions like <laughs> that's right, you know. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, but kind of a you know a double meaning of that is, and then I think rainus says this later, they control the fleet. They're the richest house in the in the seven kingdoms, and they control half the dragons. Right. Because right now, as far as we've seen, Damon and Rhaenyra have Cyrax and Caraxes, but Lenor has sea smoke, and we re, uh, we meet the Red Queen, Malice, this episode. Yeah. So Lenor and Rhaenys have dragons, too, and Daemon and Rhaenyra have a dragon. Two and two. Her- Valerion versus, I mean, Rhaenys is a Targaryen, but she's married into House Valerion. But right now, as it is, they control half the dragons that, you know, dragons that have dragon riders, I should say. There are more dragons at the dragon pit. Vagar is out there. Oh, yeah. As I talked about in episode two. So, you know, they may, be, you know, actually maybe a, a Rhaegar, or Rhaegar, not Rhaegar, Rhaegar. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know it's been heard their song you know the little girl says oh her song has been heard around Spicetown which is on Driftmark so um, we'll probably s- see Vagar soon I always think Spicetown is in Essos for some reason me too me too or down in Dorne I think Dorne and like Volantis area down there in, in Essos but anyway so right now just, there's just four dragons that have dragon riders and you know three are Targaryen but one being Rhaenys who's you know Probably a little more aligned with Valerion than Targaryen. But uh, so it's pretty, pretty interesting. And the Valerians are joining
3: houses with the Targaryens right now. So it's like four dragons versus the black or versus the greens. <laughs> I, mm. I can't right. imagine it's going to stay that way. Well, we'll see what yeah,
4: happens. That would be that w- That war would be over. Very really one sided. So um, that's pretty much, you know, we can talk about their conversation. Rhaenys and corliss conversation you know it, when they come back to high tide in a little while but sure. um it cuts to to uh, rainera and lenore walking on the beach and they basically come to an understanding about about having an open relationship but as they walk past there's this cave and the camera is inside the cave oh, and yeah. they walk past it did you notice anything about the shape of that the opening of that cave I did not it's kind of, it's a little bit, I mean, you know, viewers tell us what you think, but it's a little bit kind of the shape of a dragon's head. Oh, cool. It's kind of go, comes to a point, oh. you know, down to the left as we look at it and it kind of comes out and it's kind of rounded, you know, like the. That's know, cool. With, like a dragon's head without the little horns, you know, or tentacles. Anyway, <laughs> I was like, eh, I maybe kind of stretching here, but I, you know, I saw a little bit of a. Everything shape is, of a dragon. everything means
3: something, you know, like, I, like as a director, if you see something like that, you're like, oh, I. Uh, it kind of looks like a dragon's head. I'll incorporate it. You know, that's, that's cool. That's a that's good, uh, good catch.
4: That uh, pretty much covers my number three.
3: All righty. Uh, so my number three is Pride. Like, uh, like I mentioned just earlier. Uh, and there's a few different examples of this. There's Daemon. There, <laughs> there's Viserys. There's Corliss and also Kristen Cole, and they all have their own dealings with with their pride in this episode. And So let's start off with Damon. Now we get to talk about the opening scene. (laughs) And uh, feel free to jump in, as always. Mm -hmm. So the show starts with a woman riding on horseback who's very remindful of Yara Greyjoy. And it's Lady Ria Royce, Damon's bronze bitch. And I noticed she has a breastplate m- made for breasts, but there's no nipples on that breastplate. And <laughs> that man, that man would be very disappointed. <laughs> but George R. R. Martin would be proud because he has a, a like a recurring line in the books that where it says that's about as useless as nipples on a breastplate. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Like they serving no purpose. And so uh, true to to uh, form for germ, they did not have any nipples on the breastplate. Uh, yes, I was looking at her chest. Um, good morrow, Lady Rhea, her cousin that we see later, Gerald, shows up. So even Lady Rhea has some uh, some... A moment where she's clearly sensitive to her pride being wounded as she seems mm-hmm. insulted that her cousin Gerald would even suggest that she would be hunting rabbits. Uh, easy, easy game <laughs> relatively where she's going out to hunt deer. And further insulted by him in, in, insinuating that it's a challenge that would be a challenge. Oh, a fine challenge he says. And she's would you like some company? And she's like I'd rather ride alone. <laughs> and, <laughs> and gallops off and away from him without any further conversation <laughs> just kind of leaving him in the dust he's like well good, good fortune to you <laughs> so as she cruises off and we get some cool uh, cinematography of like a drone shot flying behind the horse as it s- mm-hmm. gallops along this pathway on the hillside and beautiful horse beautiful s- scene uh, everything's cool in this scene and sh- as she approaches these mountainous mounds With a gap that the path goes through leading to runestone off in the distance, a hooded figure awaits. (laughs) And she stops as she arrives to the pathway, good like hundred feet back, as she's looking to see who it is and the figure starts to approach and she can see it's Damon (laughs) because he's so like, his face is very recognizable. (laughs) Poking out underneath his his hood and Damon's hood is up. So, you know, he's he's up to no good. (laughs) And uh, husband, what brings you to the veil? Or have you at last come to consummate our marriage? So boom, a dig right off the bat. And... And I'm thinking, hmm, he must have had male performance issues on their marriage night. And uh, she probably did her thing and was mean about it, maybe caused much of Damon's disposition slash embarrassment and psychological issues revolving around this topic. And potentially, as I mentioned earlier, triggering him to overcompensate in other extreme ways and uh, lash out and being the dominant force uh, in terms of fighting and all these other areas where he uh, sort of acts out to compensate for his lack of capabilities in in between the sheets. And uh, she continues, the Vale's sheep might be willing, even if I'm not. So she's not willing. She's making that perfectly clear. Mm -hmm. Our sheep are prettier after all. So maybe it's like a, a joke that he's made before or somebody mentioned his joke that he made to her. At some point since a couple episodes ago, but he doesn't seem to care too much that she's not willing, understandably, considering her her attitude towards him. As he says to Lena, you know, she has never been very nice to me. (laughs) We're kind of seeing that on display here. And she continues just berating him verbally. Or perhaps your brother has at last had his fill of your company cast you aside in favor of a little girl you know like belittling him and wow she's really piling it on <laughs> it, like either he did something that warrants this treatment and she's just dishing it back to him or man and, she, and she's super spiteful about it or she is just like a peach you know <laughs> <Like she's laughs> um, i'm wondering he seems to say that she's just never been really nice to him and <laughs> he doesn't actually do anything or say anything in this moment. And so she's just jumping from insult to insult. And so all we're really seeing is her being the the verbal abuser, you know, her being the, mm-hmm. the psychological tormentor. We haven't seen Damon do anything to her. So we don't, we, it, you know. All the evidence points to her being the the nasty one in the relationship. Although we don't really have the full picture, so we can't say for sure. But uh, what a monumental Karen! <laughs> um, so yeah, Damon doesn't say even doesn't even say anything, and she's just jumping to, from insult to insult. And as we talked about, she follows the logical progression of of options of why he might be there out loud until she concludes he's there to kill her. And she she you know she realizes it, and she like reaches back for her bow, and it's at that point when she begins to arm himself that Damon is justified in defending himself, and all he does is just reach for the horse, and the horse rears up and tosses her, and she falls off and seems to bust her neck during the landing, and on top of that, the horse lands on her, and uh Damon is just kind of like, oh, you know, that sucks. (laughs) Sucks to be you, right? And he kind of turns and starts walking away. And she's like all paralyzed and, I knew you couldn't finish. (laughs) And and that, it's like, now you've crossed the line. (laughs) Despite her own sensitivity in regards to pride, as demonstrated with her, you know, interaction with her, her cousin, a little earlier she cares not for other people's pride like an abused child who grows up to abuse their own children she gets insulted and then immediately turns around and starts insulting damon doing the opposite of breaking the cycle and preventing people from feeling like she does she just passes on the insult and keeps it going and she picked the wrong moment and the wrong person (laughs) because bringing up that that erectile dysfunction is Clearly, the driving—it's like the the defining characteristic of Damon that drives his madness. Uh, the way I'm perceiving his psychology. And she, he turns and looks at her like, bitch, really? <laughs> and she's like, Craven. <laughs> and he's like oh, like, oh, man, now you've done it. And so he grabs a big old nice rock and she gasps as he approaches her and the camera zooms in on the rock. And, uh, maybe if she'd just been a little bit nicer, you know, um, uh, <laughs> like I've saying, we've we've seen no evidence that he's ever mistreated her. He's been a dick so far in the show, but as far as we've seen regarding this, she's the one that's the verbal psychological abuser. Interestingly. Sure, sure, maybe mm-hmm. he maybe he did something horrible, and this is just the 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 backlash that, that he's getting when he when he sees her. She still hasn't forgiven him, but you know, he says that she's been <laughs> been uh mean to him.
4: Always, so yeah, and then right as he's walking up to her with the rock, we we think, oh no, are we are going to show it? And it cuts to the boat, and they're like, chopping oh, yeah, fish, the fish his fish's head
3: fish <laughs> off, right at the neck too, just like her being paralyzed. And it's, and, yeah, and it's it's like
4: your brain like puts that back to the previous scene, and <laughs> like oh oh oh, it's just a fish. Yeah. And, oh, and now we're on a boat, and it's like, but it's <laughs> those it jarring
3: uh, transitions. Beautiful transition, and um, so previously to this. I had I had seen Damon more as the aggressor in my first watch, but then watching it again, mm-hmm. and after seeing him tell Lena that she'd uh, that the Bronze bitch had always been mean to him, R- Lady Rhea, Now I'm sort of seeing I, I was I had seen Damon through a lens of being more guilty during the first watch, but this watch. It, it he seems more on the receiving end of it all and just being pushed over the line eventually although it is pretty clear he went there to kill her i predicted that by the way
4: yeah you did yep you although called. i was like, oh he'll probably just leave her alone but uh <laughs> yeah you called it for sure
3: uh, although i mistake i mistook her for an Aaron. i didn't Take the bronze clue to mean that she was a rice. Oh, right. I thought he yeah. was going to toss her through Royce. the moon door. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think
4: I've we, I think I've kind of kind of lumped all those families and castles and everything. We talked about the Erie, which is the castle of the Errands. The Vale is the whole region, and then there's the Erie, which you know is up on the mountain, you know, and then there's the gates right, of the Moon right. that leads up to the Erie, but Moonstone is off in another place in somewhere in the vale and it's just his own castle and house royce is probably the second most powerful house i would guess in the vale but anyway
3: oh interesting to note too um damon is always insulting her in during in the small council meetings and stuff calling her a bronze bitch doing all this and i'm thinking maybe those are just a diversion to counter claims from lady Rhea of impotence from him so he like because she's yeah. she's she's not hideous. He said that she was basically hideous, and she's not. She's a she's a pretty good looking woman, and so yeah, the sheep are prettier. Yeah, <laughs> so maybe he just <laughs> pretends he thinks she's hideous, and that's why you know he never consummated the marriage. When in reality, he was you know. It's all in and then unable and was insulted and is just closed off emotionally and acting out as a result and pretending he wasn't into it by uh, claiming she's gross. Like (laughs) when rumors are swirling that he couldn't get it up, wrapping up Lady Rhea. I hope I wasn't too harsh. That's what she should have Um, said.
4: Oh, I I wasn't too harsh oh maybe I was I hope I wasn't too harsh on Damon yeah (laughs) he smashed you with a rock so I think you were too harsh
3: (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) if that's the judge uh, like the scale from from gives you a hug and says I I forgive you to smashes your head with a rock that's (laughs) that's the scale I guess um so we got a little bit of pride related stuff with both Lady Rhea and Damon and then we have uh, Corlys with his pride in the situation where he's talking about how he hopes that Laenor and Rhaenyra's, Rhaenyra's children will uh, inherit the Valerian name. Some will, while the heir, upon taking the throne, will be named Targaryen, which is pretty cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so they each get a little bit out of it. and he, And he agrees to the compromise. At one point during this scene, it's not exactly related to Pride, but since we're talking about the scene, might as well get all the notes out of the way. Uh, While they're in the hall at High Tide there, Uh, they're talking about how Lady Rhea died, since we're also transitioning from that subject. And Corliss says, a most surprising end. Lady Rhea's skill as both rider and hunter were well known. And so, why was her cousin asking about hunting rabbits if she... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> She's so well-known. But uh, Rainey's says, the gods are cruel. And uh, this seems to be a recurring theme throughout the literature of Westeros. I, I seem to remember other characters talking about the gods being cruel. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So then moving on to um, Kristen Cole.
4: He had a, a scene that relates to Pride also. Kristen Cole on the ship, he, he and Rainier's conversation about, you know, sailing away, you know, via Sunspear and just leaving it all behind and finding true love and marrying each other. And, yeah, they, uh, you know, they're on the boat and he doesn't have his armor on, which was, I guess it was early in the morning because she says, uh, oh, did sleep uh, evade you as well? Um, right, right. Trying to find the freaking part in the script. You know, you know, she says, did sleep flee you as well? So I guess he's just waking up and probably not you know on duty yet. Uh, as far as uh, somebody else had the night watch and he may not, you know, so he just has his normal clothes on. Right. Um, White shirt though, (laughs) to keep it the theme of white. (laughs) And she tries to like hit on him, you know, uh, he says, I needed to see you. Uh, And she says, I had a similar desire, you know, obviously talking about (laughs) something else uh, than what he was talking about. Um, Yeah. And then um, he talks about, you know, how she, you know, how many, so many times when they rode off in the woods, you know, at the hunt, you know, how she was kind of loathing her position and duties to be, to be married off, you know, without her say so and all that sort of thing. So he's trying to use, you know, their past conversations to, to say, um, you know, what, what if we could, what if there was another path, uh, one that led to freedom and the way she shuts him down in a minute, is just, it's really kind of cruel without he, her even, I think, trying to be cruel yeah, um, you know, I'm asking you to come, come with me. Come with me," <laughs> Dude, says. I love uh, your Vader she's like, she's
3: like, <laughs> like, "Come with me, and we will end this destructive conflict." <laughs> she, uh, she, he's like, uh, you know, that I know about these ships, and at this port in Sunspear, where they they're heading to Essos with their hulls full of oranges and cinnamon, and he's being like eloquent and like romantic about it. And she's like, "Are you asking for leave?" <laughs> like, and there's it reminded kind uh-huh. of t- kind of. Romantic reminded me of the phrase have you taken leave of your senses you know because
4: it, it could equally <laughs> yeah, that's apply what she probably thinks
3: yeah because there's no way she didn't understand what he meant she probably just didn't think it was possible that he'd really be asking her to leave with him considering right. she's in line to be the most powerful person in
4: Westeros <laughs> she's heir to the Iron Throne yeah yeah which she says, uh, you know, he says, a marriage for love, not for the crown.
3: And right. she's smiling when he says that, like, yeah. like she she is really interested, but it, it then fades into like a sort of depressed look as she realizes the burden that's been placed on her with the mm-hmm. whole prophecy and everything
4: like that. She says, I am the crown, Sir Kristen. She doesn't say it like that, but that's how I, I, that's how I would have said it. I am the crown. I am the crown, damn you. <laughs> and she says, I will be, you know. And then this line, I may chafe at my duties, but do you think I would choose infamy in exchange for a bushel of oranges or a ship to a shy? It's like, oh, man, she just burned him pretty hard.
3: Yeah, he's trying to be romantic. And she's like, are you like, get your head out of the clouds, you know, like sort of belittling the 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 things that he thought was uh, were beautiful and and you know romantic she <laughs> totally discounts it oh so so when he mentions it being a marriage for love she she kind of like turns away and mm-hmm. uh and walks away from him and leaves him standing there and re, upon rewatching watching it I, I was thinking like it seems like she's thinking about the prophecy and and what she knows about Aegon and the White Walkers in the future, and it seems like she's coming up with something to say because she can't tell him about the prophecy, and so her line about uh, exchanging infamy for a you know for a uh, like and t- exchanging the crown and receiving infamy. in in exchange all for a bushel of oranges. I think that she kind of is rushing to find like she, she turns to being belittling because she hasn't figured out a valid excuse. So that seems like something that would be something to say. Cause she, the way it came across to me is like, she's actually kind of interested in doing it. And so I'm wondering, uh, is it her true view that she would, would doesn't want to do this and, be infamous for a bushel of oranges, <laughs> or is she using this as an excuse because she can't tell him the truth? Uh, would would she have chosen differently and gone with him if she hadn't uh, been burdened by Viserys with the the truth and the weight of Egon's uh, prophecy? You know,
4: perhaps. So
3: she then is like, "Oh, I can tell him," you know, about the open marriage concept, and she's like, "It's my duty," but. But Lenar and I have come to an understanding, you know, I've granted him leave to pursue his own interests. And in turn, he's granted me the same. And uh, I was thinking upon watching it, like, oh, this could be an acceptable compromise. But but nope, he takes it very, very insultingly. And he's like, so you want me to be your whore? (laughs) Ooh, man, brutal. Yeah, that's like the position that Jamie was in the Kingsguard with
4: Cersei as queen too, right? Mm-hmm. Just like a gardener yeah, and some interesting parallels you yeah, have between Jamie and the Kingsguard and Kristen Cole in the Kingsguard. Yeah, for sure. Just not brother and sister.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is like a major blow to his pride, which he's already feels he's like you know, tarnished by, uh, by doing what he's done. He seems to be a more honorable man than Jamie though, considering his confession and how he was really trying to like, you know, when he was being seduced, uh, he kept looking back to the door, like, like, uh, like, Oh, I don't know if I should be doing this. Like, <laughs> but she keeps dragging, you know, like beckoning him towards the bed. And so he actually tried to, uh, Decline, Whereas I don't think Jamie ever, <laughs> you know, he was already <laughs> in love with Cersei and just didn't give a shit about the vow, basically. So there does seem to be more honor in Kristen Cole. And what did they call Jamie Like a man of dishonor? Remember Bri- Brienne said something to him and that like really hurt his feelings and sort of set him on his redemption arc?
4: Yeah, I mean, Kingslayer was what everybody called him. Yeah, but she... Uh, A man of dishonor, you know, like when yeah. <laughs> he's in the, in
3: the the hot tub or with him, basically. And his expression, Kristen Cole's expression as she's, uh, you know, as he says this, you want me to be your whore? And it's brutal. He's like, he's doing some really good acting here and she's trying to tell him like no not like it's it's not like that like i i want us just to continue what we're doing with you being my sworn protector and he starts losing it you know i took an oath and it, like you can see like his brain unraveling on his face at, through the through this whole scene i said knight of your your king's guard an oath of chastity and and i've broken it and she's like I won't tell anybody. And he's like, I've soiled my, my," and he's stuttering all over the words, my white cloak. It's the only thing I had to my fucking name. And he drops the F bomb and like, which is pretty hardcore in front of the future queen. Uh, You know, he's speaking more candidly than most people would speak to royalty, uh, Mm -hmm. potentially overstepping his bounds, although clearly not. And he's like, I thought if we were married, I might be able to restore it. And he's like chewing on his lip and it's like, very convincing the anguish is palpable and um she's like listen like the the throne is larger than me larger than anyone in my family and tears are welling in his eyes And uh, she says, "Egon the conqueror, united the seven kingdoms and put them on a path. And it seems like she's like, she's clearly referring to the prophecy now. Mm -hmm. And she might even be willing to tell him, but before she can finish the sentence, Kristen storms off. (laughs) And um, was, you know, was she going to explain it to him? Was she going to try to help him understand because she cares about him? Also, is he really concerned? Like, is it really about love with him? Is that what he's broken up about here? Or is it purely about his honor? Because he's, he's talking about his white cloak and, and how it's the only thing he has to his name. He's not like, Oh, but I love you. I want to be with you. You know, that's not what he seems to be worried about for the most part. He's, He's like, I thought if we were married, I might be able to restore my honor. So I'm wondering if, if it's even really about Rhaenyra or if, uh, He's more upset with himself than he is upset about her not wanting, not, not willing to, not being willing to run away with him. So that was kind of an interesting thing. And he storms off and leaves her alone on the, on the, the stern of the ship, which may be symbolic of <laughs> a future situation being abandoned and, you know, uh, left to fend for herself type thing. Um, but as they, it, it's the camera kind of zooms out and I'm noticing the architecture of this gazebo interior structure thing, uh, the, with the arched ceiling that you mentioned, how it's kind of designed like the Horsla, <laughs> the <Horsla X>. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I came up with a name, a name for the Targaryen ships, the Breezla since they're since they yeah. propelled by the, <laughs> the air, but, uh, you know, it's unique design for that the quarters it seems must be like the royal quarters since it's designed like the litter and i bet the ship people sleep under the deck and like the sub sub levels or something yep um but yeah i was highly impressed by the actor portraying sir Kristen here fabian frankel um
4: far beyond anything expected from this character yeah he's he's been really good after he storms off and at the beginning of the scene, all the banners and, and it didn't really show the sails. It showed the back half of the ship, but the banners on the back half of the ship were, you know, blowing aft, you know, like you would think if the ship's oh. traveling this way and the banners are going that way, that makes sense. But then at the end of the conversation, the banners are blowing, you know, forward from the back of the ship. Interesting. But the sails are also, you see the whole ship, the sails are also, you know, inflated, if you will, um, and the wind is pushing the boat. So I was like, actually, that does make sense because the wind is pushing the sails and those banners towards the direction that the sails yeah, are, you know, from behind, you know. So after after watching it, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense because the wind is pushing the boat and the sails and the banners. Right. Yeah. Uh, so maybe at the beginning, when the banners were blowing backwards, maybe that's the thing that wouldn't really make sense. Yeah, this gust
3: a a coming the other direction or something. Nautical
4: fashion. Yeah, unless they like had the sails turned some, you know, anyway, I don't, I've never worked a sailboat before, but <laughs> it's interesting how the wind, you know, has to, basically be at your back or kind of a crosswind and then you can maybe angle it. You can still point the ship, you know, in a certain direction, but if the wind is going the opposite direction that you need to go, that's problem. I I mean, that's no bueno.
3: And somehow, you know, they can, they can do it. They can like, go at an angle or something. I don't know. You know I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a sailor either. Yeah, it seems but, pretty
4: complicated. Yeah. And they <laughs> traveled the world back in the
3: 13, 1400s. You know, it's pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, Magellan yeah. circumnavigated the globe. <laughs> the ship rotting to the core by the time he got her out. He died a month before they got back. And the people that survived on the ship...
4: the ship was like sinking as it arrived back to Spain or whatever Um, pretty crazy that was sort that was part of the basis of the uh, the Tom Holland movie uh, Uncharted based on the video game oh yeah really good pretty good movie recently it's pretty interesting pretty good movie it wasn't you know it was good yeah yeah (laughs) but I think part of the treasure is part of Magellan's oh yeah they're
3: like all about Magellan it's it's the theme throughout the games as well Okay. Um, so, yeah, from a psychological standpoint, analyzing Kristen here, if he was just in love with Rhaenyra, I could see him like pining over her and like working to, you know, try to change her mind or something in the future. But if this is really just about his honor and his pride, then this could be a bad thing moving forward. It could result in him viewing her as the temptress who. Who tricked him into sullying his his honor, and uh, could result in an mm-hmm. extreme reversal of any feelings of love that he once had for her, um, and like the the brewing of pure hatred towards Rhaenyra for being you know like an like a witch basically a seductress that that tricked him into ruining his own self image. So this could be bad moving forward. Uh, foreshadowing as he turns his back on her and walks away. <laughs> he literally just turned his back on her. And then, you know, he he confesses his sins to Alicent as we talked about in an effort to regain what honor he can by facing the truth and, uh, you know, being honorable, at least in confessing. So then we get uh, the scene with Viserys dealing with his pride and he's in super rough shape. The worst we've seen him yet and and we see now after he winced when Rainey's touched his arm that his whole arm is just like covered with leprosy oh. rot uh cuz the actor Patty Considine uh, confirmed in, in an interview that Viserys is suffering from some sort of leprosy so before you before anybody starts shouting grayscale we have <laughs> we apparently have a uh, an explanation for this and interestingly, the sun is setting over his model of old Valyria, possibly symbolizing the sun setting over his own reign, which I thought was some cool imagery. And we have Maester Orwell and Maester Mellos, and they're effectively arguing over the course of treatment. Orwell suggests, he says, if I may, grant Maester, I took the liberty of preparing a fresh set of herbal poultices that might be more effective and melos like discounts it immediately that will not be necessary or the leaching is all, leechings leachings have always brought his grace relief relief but relief is different than being effective in treating something right you know like yeah, you could put a do a, mm-hmm. use a painkiller but if <laughs> but it's only masking the problem really um so this is sort of more a little bit more evidence of a Maester conspiracy to weaken the Targaryens or to
4: negatively affect Viserys' health. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, granted, it's another Maester that's proposing, you know, a potential better treatment, you know, but so it may not be all the Maesters that are in on it, you know, basically maybe the top, the Archmaesters and Grandmaesters, but right to, like this all but confirms to me that if not the whole. Citadel, at least Melos is up to no good. He's doing something because, like, he legitimately just dismisses this other maceur who is saying it's a better treatment. Yeah, just completely dismisses him. At this point, they would try, or or, uh, Melos should try anything that might help the the rot, the leprosy. Right, since they've been leeching for so long, at this point. Yeah, and there's, you know, the maggots or whatever that, you know, is supposed to eat the dead skin, you know, back in episode two. Um, it's not getting better. The sores on his back from last episode. This so whatever we're doing, oh, it brings him comfort. It brings him uh what was the word he used? Uh relief. relief. Have always brought his grace relief. It's like, yeah, I mean, so okay. will, you know, uh snorting cocaine, but it's <laughs> not good for your it's not yeah. good for your health. You know, give him some milk of the poppy and uh or what's Robert say? Uh, Give me something for the pain and let me die. <laughs> let me die. <laughs> I love the meme that says uh, a man with a gold and it's Robert saying, "Give me something for the pain and let <laughs> me die."
3: Don't <laughs> send it to me. I don't think I've seen that one. But uh, oh, what were you were saying? Something that made me made me think. Oh, the Maesters
4: and the Mellows.
3: And- oh, oh. Um. So similarly to. How you mentioned maybe only the top maesters knowing of the deal uh, against the the Targaryens. There's a similar historical parallel to that with the Freemasons where in, in 1798 or something, if you look in the Library of Congress, there are letters between George Washington and a guy named George Snyder and George Snyder is informing George Washington that the Illuminati have infiltrated Masonic lodges throughout the United States and so the uh, the Bavarian Order of the Illuminati founded by uh, Adam Weishaupt in, in Bavaria, Germany in 1776 is infiltrating the secret societies of the US and so a lot of people are you know nowadays saying that Freemasons are are Illuminati puppets and everything like that but I would imagine that People join the Freemasons and they're taught Freemason stuff. And it's it's the people at the top, like the 33rd degree Masons and above that, if there are, that are the the, the Illuminati agents effectively controlling mm, it from the right. top down. So the, the, it's compartmentalized and you're only brought in on like the big secrets when you reach a certain level. But uh, that also brings me to this week's historic Parallel, uh, House of the Dragon in history, which is the leeching here of a king and how it relates to, speaking of speak of the devil, George Washington, <laughs> who was arguably killed by too much, not leeching, but bleeding. Same concept, they're mm, draining blood. Right. And um, I have a passage here from Washington, The Indispensable Man, 1974, by James Thomas Flexner, The death of George Washington, cause of alarm, on December 13th, 1799, at the age of 67, former President George Washington came down with what he thought was an ordinary cold and sore throat. By the next morning, he could hardly speak and was unable to swallow a soothing mixture of molasses, vinegar, and butter. Martha called for the doctor, and in the meantime, Washington himself himself asked the plantation overseer to bleed him. This stopped only when Martha protested that he was taking too much blood bleeding. Washington's insistence on being bled was typical of the time. Most doctors agreed that bleeding would lessen the excitement of the blood vessels, which in turn would reduce pain, induce sleep, and prevent relapses. Bleeding was prescribed for everything from fever to consumption to madness. The fact that Washington was bled by his overseer in the absence of a doctor was not unusual. Barbers, or surgeons, men with little or no formal medical training, Mm. were specialists in bleeding. They might use leeches or would simply cut open the vein in the arm neck or foot and drain the blood the physicians james Crake, the first doctor to arrive at washington's bedside bled him again and later a third time two more physicians alicia dick and gustavus brown arrived in the mid-afternoon each examined the patient Brown agreed with Craig that Washington suffered from Quincy, a severe form of tonsillitis, and recommended more bleeding. Dick, however, insisted that Washington needed a throat operation and that further bleeding would only make matters worse. He needs his strength, Dick said. Bleeding will diminish it. Perhaps because he was the youngest of the three doctors, Dick's advice was ignored and the former president was bled a fourth time. Uh, medical theory of the day recommended bleeding be administered in conjunction with emetics to produce vomiting and purges such as mercury, calomel the idea was to debilitate the body to the point where the disease had nothing left on which to work these people like had it completely backwards they're like destroying your capability to fight whatever the illness is oh my god so basically you know he was bled so many times and uh, eventually he expressed the wish that he might be permitted to die without further interruption. You know, let me die just like King Robert. And uh, he was, interestingly, he was scared of being buried alive. So his, some of his final words were to do not let my body be put into the vault in less than three days after I'm dead. pretty pretty sketchy. <laughs> it would suck to wake up in a coffin. <laughs> That's for sure. Kill Bill style. Um, yeah, and it was a preventable tragedy. And it seems like the same type of thing is going on with with King Viserys here, for sure. So brutal. So he's, uh, he's talking with Lionel Strong about his legacy and if he'll be remembered as a good king. And his pride is... Is, uh, you know, Lionel seems like he's struggling not to offend him, trying to find things to say that are positive, but not lying to him as if he'll be remembered as anything super special or anything. So it's like, uh, what will they say of me? I've neither fought nor conquered nor suffered any great defeat. And he's like, some might call that good fortune. (laughs) But he's like, it hardly makes a good song, does it? It's like, ah. and he explains to him, you know, you've carried King Jaharis' legacy and kept kept the realm strong, and that's true for the most part. Although it's, things are starting not to go so well, it seems um, seems like there's a little bit of a downturn, and um, there's definitely going to be conflict arising as of his recent, you know, resulting from his recent decisions and stuff. Uh, so, K- strong is trying to. Uh, Soothe his, his soul here by gentlemen, isn't it better to live in peace than to have songs sung after you're dead? Uh, And he says, perhaps, but there's part of me that wishes I'd been tested. And uh, this is his pride, you know, like wanting to be strong and wanting to think that he would have (laughs) performed well under harsher conditions. But even in these the way that he has been tested with you know things by discretions by Damon and things like this he's he's stuck in the middle and not made any decisions, and even with these weak tests, he's been sort of a weak king in response. It's like somehow deep deep down he knows he's kind of been shit and he wishes he could have been cooler like like Aegon, and so he's stressing about the situation a little bit. "'I often think that in the crucible "'I may have been forged a different man.'" And uh, <laughs> again, Lionel's trying to be positive, telling him that many many that are tested only wish to have been spared it. And uh, this kind of like cr- creates a little short flare of his temper, you know? "'Another lord might, have a, might assure me "'that I would rise like Egon the Conqueror, "'given the chance. "'Your grace, that's...' And he kind of just calms down. Uh, "'You're right.'" You're right, as always. And the fact that he gives in so quickly here and doesn't follow through with his wrath just shows that he would he would have been weak if he was tested. Like, he's just mm-hmm. tested by this response. And he he was weak in the manner of, of his response to this uh, comment by Lionel, you know? So, perhaps it's best to know, he says. And uh, not to know, LOL. He knows. <laughs> that's why he's lamenting. <laughs> it's a pretty sad scene, you know, because people... Uh, you know people living with regrets and uh unable to do things that they wish they could have done because there's there's only one time around you know uh, it's pretty brutal but kudos to patty considine for uh, a continued excellent portrayal of viserys adding so much depth to the role that even george r r martin had never uh, <laughs> expected apparently which yeah. is pretty cool pretty cool stuff oh interestingly the part of me that part of me wishes I'd been tested it makes me think of uh, the saying it's better to live in interesting times than than what peaceful times or something (laughs) I can't remember oh it's it's may you live in interesting times yeah that's it for my number three how about you what's your number two
4: uh my number two is uh chaos (laughs) oh it's a ladder. AKA Damon. <laughs> uh, basically, I mean, there's a lot of chaos in, in this episode, but I, r- I wrote it down in my notes, you know, uh, relating uh, chaos as it relates to Damon. What do you, that like a chaotic neutral, chaotic good? Is that the, like that that uh, chart
3: of. Yeah, from Dungeons and Dragons or something? Like chaotic good, good, chaotic evil. Yeah. The big, um, like Nolan chart style thing. Right.
4: So it's like sometimes Damon is chaotic bad or chaotic evil <laughs> and he goes to the veil to kill his wife. Um, sometimes he seems more neutral, like his intentions aren't as bad. He's definitely not regardless. lawful anything. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's not really chaotic lawful. It's just, he's just chaos, man. Anytime he shows up, you just literally, you never know what's going to happen. Um Whether he's, you know, maiming and gelding the townspeople <laughs> for alleged crimes or, Traveling to the Vale in secret to uh, eliminate his lawful wife yeah. or showing up to King's Landing for the third time after being banished twice, uh, just in the five episodes we've seen, <laughs> and being wel- <laughs> being welcomed back to the table with a nod. Yep. I mean, he just, <laughs> and just, he strolls in smirking, you know, most epic smirk a care in the world. Time. He strolls right up to the throne room uh, with the crab, the crab feeders hammer um, up to the point of, you know, a sword to his chest. And he just is absolute chaos. I I I, I was expecting Alicent or something, you know, to happen. Uh, I mean, it's a Westerosi wedding. Right, um, a doll affair by Dothraki standards, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> still you know, after the red wedding and and then after the Felt purple wedding, so at least everybody's traumatized. Yeah, when it comes Big to time. somebody getting, getting tying the knot, but it. Um, Daemon. I just, I don't. I was expecting for his banishment. to I guess to last a m- longer than one episode, <laughs> but he just comes right episode. back in. And you know, he and Gerald Royce, you know, they have their little tete a tete. And then he goes dancing with Lena. He goes dancing with Rhaenyra. Lena is quite then, delightful. I will say this new yeah, actress. Yeah, she was. She was really cool. What's to be had for breakfast? So, uh, yeah, that inner that little exchange between Lena and Damon on the dance floor was really good. And you just never know who he's going to dance with, who he's going to kill, who he's going to betray and leave in a brothel. Yeah. Just, he's such a wild card. Why are the brakes
0: working? Because I cut the brakes. Wild card, bitches. Yeah. What?
3: Totally an agent of chaos, Harvey. Uh, What do you think, is his motivation for snuggling up to Lena in this fashion.
4: I mean, if, I mean, just say, if, if he doesn't whisk Rhaenyra away in the scenario, I mean, we see that he doesn't, um, but you know, in the moment when he's, you know, him and Rhaenyra, if he's not gonna cut through my, cut through my father's king's guard and take me to Dragonstone, uh, to be your wife, if he's not gonna do that, so then the, the marriage between Lainor and Rhaenyra goes through, Who else? You know what other? How else can he consolidate power? And if he can, you know, get in bed literally with House Valerion, he's a Targaryen. He has his own personal dragon. We know the Valerions control two dragons of the four that have dragon riders right now. Uh, But if he can get in good with House Valerion with a marriage, so maybe he's looking at that down the down the road as Lena as a possible. Hmm. If Rhaenyra is going to be off the table.
3: Makes sense. Makes sense.
4: <laughs> Craziness, man. What a loony. <laughs> we covered, I mean, there's a lot of chaos with him and uh, Raya Royce at the beginning, but we covered that. Uh, so that's Damon Targaryen, Agent of Chaos.
3: Nice. Let me
4: see. Uh, what do I got here? Um, oh, so that was your number one? That was my number two. And we my number one was the dance. So we, we covered that.
3: Oh, I must have skipped something here. Okay. Yeah. So, so my number two is just Viserys losing control. And we've covered most of it already, but him not being able to have the power to just summon Lord Corliss, him not having any control over Damon, who just waltzes in, like you said, him losing control of the dinner, losing control of the wedding. Losing the control of the crown by the end of the episode, losing control of his health, losing control of the rot on his arm. Uh, Viserys is just losing his grip on everything. Uh, that's pretty much my number two, and I didn't even have a number one. All my stuff in uh, <laughs> is just kind of like they're no, they're never in any particular order, and. So my number one would just be covering anything that we didn't talk about thus far. Uh,
4: anything else you want to add? Um, maybe a little bit the the scene between Arrhenius and Corliss, Uh when they we we come to him and he's staring at that uh, the crab feeder's mask, and then she says, "Oh, Viserys has gone to bed while they ready his ship." You know, further indicating, oh yeah, how um, he's ailing, how just how poor his health is. Um, and Corliss you know wonders if he overextended himself pushed him too close to the edge and right. then she she kind of she trash talks Viserys who's like my cousin chose to sail into this tempest uh, it was undignified for him to drag himself and beg <laughs> for right. Lenor's hand that's the other thing too that's interesting is because he probably doesn't see it as
3: weakness but everybody else is perceiving it as weakness where he's in yeah, his I mind of it yeah, yeah. Like in his mind he's probably just like, Oh, like, you know, this is a respectful thing to do since uh since I disrespected Coralus before, so mm-hmm. I'm just gonna like it. Might trying to make anger him, him to
4: call him here. So I'm I'm gonna go as a gesture of goodwill, basically, to him. Right. And it was, but you know, from the outside, like he said la- uh last episode, it's all about perception. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um they say that Lenor and Rainier are walking on the coast, they seem familiar. Um and obviously we, we learn that they both know the parents, you know, know that he's gay. Yeah. And, um, duck and goose, Corliss, 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 said he's still young. <laughs> He'll outgrow it. Um, and then he like tries this pickup line on Rainey's <laughs> and gets all like snuggled up to her. There's no pleasure. Like betting a woman. Oh uh, yeah. And she's like, what are you talking about right now? Uh, we're placing our son in danger. And then she, it, she, because Rainey's knows better than anybody how dangerous it can be for a woman to be in position to either definitely inherit or potentially in her situation to potentially inherit the iron throne. Yeah. And you know, he brings up, you know, that they swore obeisance to Rhaenyra. I said, like, yeah, of course they did. But that was before Aegon Targaryen, second of his name. Just like Otto Hightower said. Hmm. And she realizes that a baby boy being born to Alicent and Viserys the king really does change everything for a whole lot of the lords and ladies of the realm. Um, So she just tells him flat out, Rhaenyra's succession will be challenged. Knives will come out for her, her husband and for her heirs, which is the flip side of what Otto told Alison. Right. Um, Rhaenyra will be forced to put your, you and your children to the sword. She will have no choice. It's like inevitable in both directions. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of wisdom between Otto and uh, Rhaenys, Targaryen, because uh, they see the uh there's a storm brewing, Mister Wayne. Yeah, <laughs> um, and that knives will come out reminded me of the movie Knives Out, which is it's pretty entertaining. Um, It's like a murder mystery, sort of like Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, with Daniel Craig has this ridiculous like Kentucky accent. Uh, it's hilarious. It's it's pretty terrible, but, but overall the movie's still pretty good. <laughs> nice. Um, but anyway, she said knives will come out. I was like, oh, knives out. Um, he talks about what we've already covered half the dragons in the realm's navy
3: yeah normalcy Um, bias and uh, this this was interesting to me because she's like to what end Corliss wealth power pride you know which plays into my uh, number Two there, and uh, he says, "Justice by all rights, you should be queen of the seven kingdoms' and I was like, Ah, his true motivation, justice for his long spurned wife, or is it? Is he just using her prior claim as a shield for his own ambitions and his own pride? and like uh, you know, because they already talked about the Valerian name. And everything, and he's suggesting that the the new king should be a Valyrian, and maybe that was like the big ask, so to speak, where you ask for more than you anticipate, or you'll yeah. receive. You know, to move the goalposts of the conversation. So if I have a car that I want to sell for ten grand, I ask for fifteen. You say eight in response. I say twelve. And then you say ten, and I'm like sold, just where I wanted to be. You right, know? yeah, the type of thing. <laughs> Pretty funny. <laughs> Let's see, uh ch-ch-ch-ch. though yeah, there I could tell with the with the first meeting with Lenor and Joffrey, the way Joffrey was being brazen about the whole situation and like making jokes of it and everything, like this dude is trouble. He's <laughs> he's gonna be mm-hmm. he's gonna be an issue. And it wasn't long before that manifested. Um it was true though, what he was saying that, you know, you'll need a sworn protector and this is better than than we could have hoped for, which is true. Odds are he would have been married off to somebody else who was not so understanding. So they took the, the best situation they could have hoped for, and Joffrey tried to, you know, use it for leverage, and it screwed everything up. Unfortunately for them,
4: definitely. The uh, did you notice the garnets in Rhaenyra's hair at the feast? Ooh, I did not. It was like this cool uh, updo, which we've never really seen her have before, not to get too fashionista on you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And there's like braids kind of going around and in within the braids and within this whole like updo, Mm -hmm. that's all I know how to call it. There's these probably like two or three dozen red garnets, you know, equally spaced in between it it was was really cool Uh, I don't remember like a lot lot of especially the first half of the series Danny's is out in the Dothraki Sea and her hair is all bedraggled and it gets more and more refined and kempt, and she gets more and more braids as she conquers but I I don't really remember any jewelry you know in her hair or anything really fancy looking
3: well you know what the red uh, garnets remind me of is the the trident at the green fork with Rhaegar's armored yeah, breastplate he's got the red rubies in the shape of the three-headed dragon and Robert mm-hmm. cleaves it in with his hammer and the rubies spill into the trident mm-hmm. and apparently yeah. they're still being found every once in a while mm-hmm. so
4: the ruby ford maybe there were rubies in her hair yeah, it could have been rubies yeah I just uh, garnets were the first red jewel that I thought of rubies are way more valuable
3: yeah whatever way more. whatever
4: the most valuable most elite because this whole they've said over and over the showrunners and everybody have said this like peak opulence. Besides the story of the dance, the the decadence and just the the richness of the Targaryens at this point is uh, really off the charts.
3: Definitely. Oh, I noticed when Sir Kristen Cole was just about to commit seppuku before the old gods that the music was again mirroring the light of the seven. Yeah. Very intense. Which is pretty cool. And then we got that rat uh eating the blood yeah, which is the like very end. symbolizing how all the families at the dance are just like just like vultures waiting to just take advantage of the Targaryen wealth and power as p- much as possible. Yeah, so we had the
4: rats, the rats last week in Valerian's teeth and rats up uh, up on the bedpost uh, of Viserys and Alicent's bed and, you know, rats in the walls. You know, we talked a little bit about last week about, you know, rats, you know, being symbolic of, you know, all the different factions and people trying to move. And Laris Clubfoot is definitely seems like a little bit of a, a rat, not a rat as far as like a snitch, but just a sneaking, conniving uh Snake-like rat. Manip- manipulating <laughs> uh, kind of a person, you know, like like we said, like Varys and Baelish. Yeah. Um, but just to end on that particular scene, um, there's, there's more to come with that.
3: With the rats? hmm Oh, man. Looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, let's see. I don't think I have any more notes. I think that pretty much covers everything. How about you? You got anything else?
4: I don't think so we talked about Viserys crown falling off didn't we
3: we did at the very end at
4: the wedding and he falls over and the crown falls off
3: very symbolic that was my last
4: note I just hadn't scratched it through
3: nice All right, let's move uh, let's take a quick little break and we'll be right back Let's go to Raven's Calls. The last high gardener of High Garden, Corey Eugene Kuhn says, Winds of change. On the ship ride scene where Sir Kristen proposes a change of plans slash life to Rhaenyra, the wind and flag direction is blowing towards the rear of the ship. But by the end of the scene, just as the relationship appears to shift, so too has the wind and flags atop the ship, now blowing towards the front of the ship. Just like you said, and increasing the pace as King's Landing approaches, ship just got real. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I also believe that the queen was late for the betrothal dance because that is when she interrupted Sir Kristen's seppuku and started the, the chaos in motion which is why Sir Kristen was on extra edge during the betrothal ceremony. Ooh, oh, interesting. Like they showed things in a reverse very, order there.
4: Yeah. Hmm. I'm going to think about that. Yeah. Is that, it's a certain possibility.
3: Very interesting.
4: Uh, Sir Matthew Ripp says, uh, In Grand Westerosi tradition, a wedding just isn't a wedding without some good murder. <laughs> as, as pointed out by Sir Larry's exposition, Alice's choice of dress color is a High Towers way of saying this means war. I suppose that would make this event the Green Wedding. Yeah. Did we get a shot of Rainie's flying the Red Queen Melis on the ride over from Driftmark? I believe we did, although we didn't really see Rainie's very much because they were they were flying at like Mach five. <laughs> The camera uh, ship when they went point, flying
3: by. I mean, was like,
4: uh, I think Alt Shift X or somebody was saying they're like they would black out from the G forces. Yeah, he said they would. Their bodies would liquefy. I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be that bad, <laughs> but uh, but it would definitely. You'd have to be holding on. You have to be strapped in, not just holding on, uh, going that fast
3: for sure. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, the green wedding. Definitely. I said that while while I was watching the episode, I was like, oh, this is the Green Wedding. And they changed it from the uh this happening at a tournament to happening in a wedding, which makes sense and adds to the sort of tradition of these colored weddings of Game of Thrones, the uh <laughs> the, the red wedding, the purple wedding, and now the green wedding to add to that list, which is not something that had was a nickname from the books prior because this event took place at a tournament and not a wedding. But I like it at the yep. wedding because it adds to that sort of tradition which is Mm -hmm. cool. Lady Amanda of House Massey says, I was stressed by the whole wedding scene, waiting for something to go wrong in true Game of Thrones fashion, but I was not ready for the problem to be Sir Kristen Cole and Joffrey duking it out. Can't wait for your breakdown on this because I'm still trying to figure it out. So are we, at least me. Uh, We're not exactly sure what sparked the actual conflict, but or whether he took advantage of the situation in the scrum and attacked him. But, uh, you know, maybe, yeah, yeah, I'm not really sure. It was kind of confusing the order of scene, scenes that they were showing. It seemed like the interaction between Joffrey and Kristen happened like a, a minute or two before the fight took place. So I would have thought they would have separated by that point. Um, but, yeah, I'm not really sure. What do you think, Zach?
4: Yeah, I don't know. It... I mean, I'm thinking he, I don't know, maybe he was going to intervene with between Rhaenyra and Damon. I'm sorry, let's say she. Maybe Kristen Cole was going to intervene between Damon and Rhaenyra. And then somehow, yeah, I, I just don't really know what I think probably happened. I just have guesses about of several different maybes. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't really seem to fit that he just went over there and jumped. Joffrey Lonmouth, and his intent was to kill him from the get go, and it just turned into this wild scrum. I mean, that could that could be, but I just I'm just trying to th- put my mind in Kristen Cole's shoes. Yeah, and so what started it? Because there's what started it, and obviously we see what ended it uh, and how it ended. But I just yeah, I'm I'm just really not sure what exactly started it. Because Kristen Cole was kind of down at the other end of the room, I think, you know, near the high table when Lonmouth goes over to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And then some time goes by because they're dancing and Damon and Rhaenyra are talking. So he could easily have made it to the other end of the room because the fight kind of takes place at the far end of the throne room because uh, Viserys can't see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um Lionel Strong and Corliss Valerian can't see what's going on, and True, so it's just madness. So I think we're supposed to not really have any idea about how it started, who started it, where's Damon. That's what I want to know. Yeah, it just vaporizes. Um, <laughs> how is he not, you know, beating somebody bloody, uh, given half the chance?
2: Wild
3: card! Yeah. So, right.
4: He could just take know. out Black Sister. Oh, he didn't have Black Sister. Or
3: Black Sister. Uh, <laughs> Dark <racist>. Sister. <laughs> he I was thinking he could have just took, taken out Dark Sister <laughs> and he swirled around and just split everybody in two all around him. But he didn't have the blade on him. So he missed his chance.
4: Yep. <laughs> Lady Kelsey of House Carlson says, This one was tricky for me, and I have so, so, so many questions. Did Sir Criston beat up Joffrey because he was doing exactly what Joffrey told him to do, protect no matter the cost? Perhaps he Mm. he thought of of Lameth as a a loose end as far as who knew their secrets. Or did he just snap? Also, I think, highly probable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. Uh, She continues, part of me thinks that Sir Criston is a buffoon for expecting Rhaenyra to leave the literal crown for him. But part of me sees... That she sort of exploited him, using her position to make it hard to refuse her, even though she knew the cost to him. Why is Allison so pissed? (laughs) Her dad was just another person who controlled her and used her. It's probably better for her that he's gone, talking about Otto. Right. What was said between Damon and Rhaenyra. Yeah. I also... Wanted to reflect on the incredible acting by all the performers on this show. I was really moved by the scene between Otto and Allison. The facial expressions were so authentic and really transported me into the moment. Whoever does the casting for GOT and HOTD really nails it. I'm on the edge of my seat for next week. So am I.
3: And maybe we'll get another, like, a more of an explanation of what triggered the fight next week. Maybe there'll be, like, yeah, a I think we might. trial or something like that. <laughs> you know, who knows? <laughs> An inquisition? (laughs) Lady Mary Patricia of House Darigo says, as the drum beats intensified, the camera jumps between the lovers in the room sped up. The dancing crowd's shouts got louder and the tension mounted. My heart was racing and I was sitting on the edge of my seat. Alicent's feeling of betrayal by Rhaenyra was so very sad, but inevitable. Rhaenyra's spurning of Sir Criston was heartbreaking. I would never spurn that Dornish hottie. <laughs> thanks for the great coverage. Thank you for leaving your thanks, feedback. Thanks. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of Allison's feeling of betrayal by Rhaenyra, when Allison gets all the way to the high table and walks up, she, she makes direct eye contact with Rhaenyra, and she's just, like, staring daggers into her before saying congratulations. It was... A vicious stare, I put it in slow motion at the beginning of <laughs> of our YouTube video for this episode. nice,
2: yeah, pretty crazy Archmaster stitches here, man uh, <laughs> Wow, that was a good episode, really good episode. I really enjoyed it. um more political intrigue, less. Sex scenes, (laughs) uncomfortable sex scenes, but yeah, let's dive right into it, man. I really, really dig again, uh, from a point of view of reading Blood and Fire without spoiling really what happens in the book, since these actions have like completely different uh trajectories, (laughs) but um, yeah, man, freaking I like what they've done, like with this wedding, how it's basically like a shotgun wedding at the end of a horrible, horrible thing, um. Which, I mean, in, in the perspective of Game of Thrones weddings, it's, you know, it's not like a, a monarch died or a, a pregnant woman got gutted. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it's just a a a, a paramore got, got ground beefed <laughs> in the face. Oh, um, so, so brutal. So it's pretty light, you know, compared to some of the other ones. But, I mean, technically, it wasn't a wedding yet. I mean, it was a, a feast honoring it, but the, the wedding feast... Um, yeah, man, what a what a crazy thing. Uh, but yeah, the way it happens in in the book is completely different. Again, just kind of like last week with the way uh, Ranira and Kristen Cole's relationship started there. And I I love this this dude is just so profoundly like haunted by guilt and uh, and the dumbass just goes over there and pokes the bear, man. Um, and yeah. just <laughs> fucking you know. He doesn't realize, like, how strong this dude's moral compass is and how much, like, you know, he's just uh, fucking rubbing, the, you know, against the grain, but he finds out real quick. It was a, a mystery, too, to me, like... When, we're, when we first hear the screams, I thought like somebody was invading the 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 feast, like a hall, like maybe Damon had some some homeboys showing up, and there was about to be a, a big ruckus. But yeah, when the soldiers you know, came when running, it cuts down. to later because they don't actually see like you don't see any shots of Kristen Cole like staring down. Uh, what's his name? Uh, I don't know Joffrey, Joffrey something, Lawnless. and uh, redhead guy. Um, or anything like that. There's like, all we're concentrated on is this, this moment with like, fucking Rhaenyra, like calling out, you know, Daemon, like what the hell dude, you really want it, come fucking take it, and that what you do, like you're so invested in that, that they don't do any like, cheesy, CW, like network TV shows of, oh, there's the guy over there, I'm about to bash in the face, you know, (laughs) where he gives two second cuts, or anything like that, so it really catches you off guard, you're like everybody else and they're like, what the fuck's going on? Um, Amazing episode. Amazing fucking episode. Um, And uh, yeah, just the whole order of things. Um, I don't know if you guys are going to start like, is it okay to like do like book spoilers or references once like the show passes the point of what would have happened in fire and blood. But that's like one of the most impressive things so far about this show is the way it takes like one liners from the book and does what the hell it wants with it in a wonderful way because they technically can because it's just a third person oral tell you know no one was there like at at these things that happen but this uh they reference this big seven day tournament that's going to happen and that's way bigger than how all this goes down in this this wedding hall but i really really dug it man and her fucking Allison entering in the the high tower colors, like basically like uh uh-uh you know, taking what her dad said, like they're going to, you know, they'll put your kid to the sword and you're going to, you know, have to fight or you're going to have to basically go over there and like eat crow and be, uh, you know, sucking up to Rhaenyra or you're going to face consequences. It's like, nah, I'll do this. You know, I'm going to start rallying the fucking realm behind me. And oh, God, it's about to get really good. I'm ready. All right, guys. <laughs> thanks again for the great coverage. I'll talk to you all next week.
3: I'm ready to count. I can't freaking wait. Dude. This, this show's been
4: really good so far. Fantastic feedback. Thanks, Archmaester Stitches.
3: Yeah, thank you very much, Johnny. Always good to hear from you, Archmaester. <laughs> Always cracks me up. All right, that's our show, episode 125. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks so much. See ya. A huge thank you to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers for announcing our show. And many thanks to our epic patrons on Patreon, Sirenicide, Lord John of House Grills, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lord Jeremiah of House Becker, and the Last High Gardener of High Garden, Sir Corey Eugene of House Coon. On another note, if you like my take on things, you might be excited to learn that I'm working on a project of my own. It's a series, The Core Saga, that I'm already over 1,100 pages into writing. Just imagine The Da Vinci Code, Indiana Jones, Tomb Raider, Stargate, Journey to the Center of the Earth, National Treasure, Project Blue Book, War of the Worlds, Splinter Cell, and Independence Day all combined into one post-World War II era epic. The Core Saga. More details coming soon. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast
4: to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping? Then go on over to gameofmicrophones.com. Scroll down to the bottom and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps. It can help secure the continued existence of GOM.
3: And make sure to check out Sirenicide and Hearing the Haunted, the horror drama podcasts featuring me and Archmaester Stitches. Go to sirenicide.com and hearingthehaunted.com now or download them wherever you get your podcasts. Next episode, we'll be covering House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 6. We've crossed the halfway point. (laughs) Cross the Rubicon, baby. Yeah. The Princess and the Queen, directed by Miguel Sapochnik, which is always good. Let's go, Miguel. Yeah. We'll be recording on Monday afternoons, so make sure to send us your feedback as quickly as possible following the show's airtime so we can include it on Game of Microphones.
4: If you'd like to call, you can call us at 813 Joffrey. That's 813-563-3739. If you'd like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Make sure to join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com/slash G-O-M podcast. Each week we'll be posting a feedback thread where you can leave your thoughts and comments on new episodes for us to read on air.
3: You can also watch Game of Microphones on YouTube, Rumble, BitChute, and Odyssey. Audio podcasts are great, but video is better. We're currently trying to build our minuscule subscriber count, so go to youtube.com slash Game of Microphones
4: and subscribe right now. Likes, comments, and shares are appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and mine's at GOM podcast and we're on tumblr2 at game of microphones all right that's our show thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening you know it You're no fool, and yet you choose not to see it. (sighs) The time is coming, Alicent. Either you prepare Aegon to rule, or you cleave to Rhaenyra and pray for
0: her mercy. On this episode, we're covering House of the Dragon* Season 1, Episode
4: 5, We Light the Way and i've got more
3: fucking computer errors over here. Oh my god. And so this I'm, instead of brass balls this guy's got bronze balls. He st- he steps up to the table to accuse Prince Damon of murder in front of the king and uh, he mentions that he was Lady Rhea's wife or lady Rhea, that he was Lady Rhea's cousin. You know, I'm I'm in love with the prince. Uh <laughs> I see you have Braithoth. I have Braithoth too. You know, I, I don't know. I'm just, you know,
4: making stuff up basically. <laughs> but I'm wondering what the hell is going on here. But I mean, maybe all the, you know, nobody would suspect him, but it's all the ruse to, uh, to keep everyone unsuspecting of him. You know, right. being a cripple. and uh, But he actually can move swiftly and quietly yeah. through the
3: walls of the Red Keep crazy it's like uh sun tzu says when you're strong act weak and when you're weak act strong right <laughs> so so he is his last name literally is strong maybe he's acting weak
4: <laughs> bro that's yeah yeah, Christian's like, oh, man, I'm, I'm busted. I'm so busted right now.
3: <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have done this. Somebody
4: knows. <laughs> must I see it? They were <laughs> must <I see>. coupling.
3: <laughs> death over dishonor is no longer an option, but death over dicklessness instead is,
4: is you know, preferable. So he's like, no way. So it's like, sometimes Damon is chaotic bad or chaotic evil. <laughs> Showing up to King's Landing for the third time after being banished twice, uh, just in the five episodes we've seen, <laughs> and being welco- being welcomed back to the table. Uh, I mean, it's a Westerosi wedding. Right. Um, a dull affair by Dothraki's standards, but...
3: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he could just take know. out Black Sister, oh, he didn't have black sister or black sister uh <laughs>
4: That's Dark right. sister. perhaps he he thought of, of Llamath possible. as a as a loose end as far as who knew their secrets, or did yeah. he just snap also I think highly probable <laughs> <laughs>
3: next episode we'll be covering the eh, la, la.
4: <sighs> it was either the duck or the goose. <laughs> <laughs>